1: All right, time for one of our favorite episodes to do here, the top 10 players in the NBA. And this is now, I first did this in 2014. Going back and looking at some of those is always fascinating. We, We try to do that and say where we might've gotten wrong in previous iterations. But the way we are doing this here is we are pretending that right now at this moment, a new regular season is starting and saying, which player would we want for the duration of that regular season and playoffs? For guys that are injured, we assume that they are able to come back. Like Jamal Murray, for example, we'll assume that he's recovered from his ACL. But we do factor in the idea that he might not be as good after coming back from that ACL. Like when we did Kevin Durant last year, for example, he was still in these top 10 rankings, even though he was out with the Achilles. We were basically just trying to project what that player would do in his next season and fit them in. So that is the... General well, philosophy want, here, but there's much more to it. also. Is, and
2: there. I, I think another important consideration here is that part of the thought experiment for us is that you are putting this player on a random team, and so what that means is players who are whose skill sets are narrowly tailored to run a specific scheme or have a specific role. Generally, that is going to hurt. Whereas players who are more versatile or who are so good that they can elevate most, if not any, surrounding talent to a certain level that is more valuable. And if you can fit in as a, like these are the top 10 players, so fitting in as a smaller piece isn't necessarily as important, but it is a real value add, especially for one specific player on this list for me. Um, But the, the idea of scalability of kind of how you can fit in with different things because that is an important part of this because then you're at least trying that is our intention to not reward players who are in a very favorable circumstance and not punish players who are in a an unfavorable circumstance that theoretically could be changed whether it was a trade or a coaching change or something else because we're trying to evaluate this more in a vacuum than things actually are
1: that's definitely true i will add to that however and this is consistent with what you said that when we're really talking about guys in the top 10, it's all about winning a championship for those players right we are even if you might be a better floor raiser than someone on this list if you're just never going to be a best player on a championship team or even a number two on a championship team if you think of you know kind of prime DeMar DeRozan for example then you're really going to get dinged in this and so yes it is important what would you do if you didn't have much talent around you but I consider and I do factor that in but i consider it more important in these rankings the top 10 players in the nba rankings than i do in our position rankings which we've been doing for dunked on prime all week here of just what would you look like on a really good team and would it be tough to fit around you on a really good team that really could be a championship contender when you have other perhaps ball dominant stars and how how do you play with others is a big part of it maybe more so because when you're talking about just position rankings once you get down below the top five or so then you could say hey you know what this guy still has that you know think of say Demarcus Cousins, when he was with the Kings and he was in his prime, right—the the kind of guy who can get you from twenty-five wins to forty wins—that has more value as you get lower in the position rankings because you have to fill out all thirty teams, and we're getting down into thirties and forties in those position rankings. But here, to me, it's. How are you going to look? Winning a championship is more important to me in these rankings because of the quality of player that we're talking about, and ultimately, the point of NBA basketball is to win a championship.
2: Yeah, I I, I factor it a little bit differently. I think I I do a little bit more regular season, a little less championship equity, partially because. I draw a narrower line between players I think incredibly be the best player on a championship team. And so sometimes, I think oftentimes it leads us to the same place, but I wanted to note it as a as a slight difference. This actually came up in our center rankings and a few other times recently. Um we'll work through it in this one um when when it comes up, which won't be too often, but maybe a little bit once we get once we get down into it. Um I think that's all of the big kind of like criteria and and notations that that need to go in. Oh, the other part of this that is worth remembering is a couple of other they're just like this is not things. This is not future rankings. This is not where these players will be five years from now. This is not our MVP. This is not based on you know like who's played the best this year. And sometimes less so in top ten players than position rankings. Actually, the concept of starting a season right now matters because maybe you think this player can improve over the course of time. Maybe you worry about you know well, there are a lot of players actually who are prime and post prime on this list. You worry about how the passage of time can actually hurt them. That is an important consideration here because we're starting a season right now. So some. Let's say like Luka Doncic, who is age 21 season right now in basketball reference we think he's continuing to improve whereas somebody who's older you know there are other other considerations so that is an important part that we consider that we want to make sure to convey to you the listener
1: yep that's a a great point if you're a younger player versus an older player maybe you get a little bit of a boost as a younger player for the idea that after another season of development you would be better and same as a potential ding for an older player possibly declining couple other notes here that are just philosophies of mine. Certainly everyone is welcome to disagree with these. Uh, But for me, a guiding philosophy here is efficiently creating shots for yourself and for others. That is the premium skill in the NBA for probably every position except center and maybe even center, depending on how you are defensively. And that's just because Offense on an individual level is more important than defense. It, have a, you can see that in how much players get paid, and you can see it just in the magnitude. If you look at some of the all-in-one stats, the magnitude of those stats for the best offensive players is higher than for the best defensive players. Another thing you can say, too, is that replacement level on defense is much higher than on offense, right? If you think of how good of an offensive player is Bismack Biambo, versus how good of a defensive player is trey young it's easier to cover for a bad defensive player than to cover for a bad offensive player in today's nba there's not as much of an antidote to not guarding someone as for you not being able to guard your man there's no such thing as help offense the way there is help defense and, you know, if you put Trey Young on guarding one of the better offensive players on the other team, he still might get stops every once in a while within the team concept. If you run all of your offense through Bismack Biombo, you're basically going to never score. So that that's part of why offensive players are, are overrepresented on this list compared to defensive I, I wanna, players. I want to... Uh, would and add then one I guess more important
2: yeah. one, which is kind of the yeah. spiritual similarity there, which yeah. is players who can only do specific things, whether that is offensively like they need the ball in their hands, like because because they can't shoot or something else, or defensively whatever position you play, honestly. But it matters more at the big spots. If you can only run a drop coverage or you can only switch because you can't really, you know, you can't really chase a guy around screen stuff. That is a significant demerit. It is not, you know, it doesn't necessarily move a guy yeah. within a tier, but you can. I mean, Harden is probably the single best player. To to use as an example here, and it's something you and I have criticized him for for years, is that it changes the way you have to think about the rest of the team. And you can, you know, you have to de emphasize and emphasize different elements there. And that narrows, like as a general manager or a coach, that narrows your field. And narrowing the field hurts, even if the player is good enough to justify the hurt.
1: Yeah, that's a great point. There are a couple of players in this top 10, top 15 or so. We're actually going to go down lower than usual because this list is probably stronger than it's ever been in my lifetime. And that absolutely has to be taken into account where you're like, hey, we got to change up our whole defensive scheme, or we got this guy, our defense is always going to have a ceiling on it because this guy just isn't that good, or perhaps even more so because it limits the type of schemes that you can play defensively. And again, when you look at what gets you to the absolute highest levels defensively. It's the ability to play multiple schemes, to switch, to put two on the ball, to play a drop coverage. Your team probably needs to to even play some zone that's getting back now. Your team probably needs to be able to do all those things if you're really going to win a championship. If you just look at what the history of that has been over the last 10 years, or so. Um another thing we can talk about here too, Danny, is the way that we put guys into yes. tiers.
2: So as whether we're talking about tier whether we're talking about teams or we're talking about players or really anything when we do when we do this, the lines of separation are significantly larger when players are in different tiers. So if if I have guys at four and five and I have them in the same tier, the basic point there is that I see it as a very narrow distinction. As you can basically the way I like to think about it is you can make a credible argument for any order. And if I don't think you can make a credible argument, I'm going to draw another line. Like that that really is what it is for me for the tier system. And so arguments about you had player X at at four and he should have been at five, this guy's better, I I don't those don't move me to much now if you want to say the players shouldn't be in the same tier yeah absolutely by all means but the whole point of that is to say these players are close these players are not and that is that is far more important than where players within a tier are ranked honestly especially in top 10 players because what they do is in many cases so fundamentally different
1: so a couple other notes that i'll add as well and this is part of the evolving nba now where the offensive stats are just so crazy I am probably going to rely less on statistics for this than I ever have and more because everybody has unbelievable stats at this point in time and particularly in the points, rebounds and assists, but even some of the advanced stats as well, the true shooting usage, all that stuff. So I'm going to rely less on some of those arguments than just what I think the actually wins championships, what we have seen win championships and maybe some of the history of these players As well, it has got to be a big part of it, particularly in the playoffs. The playoffs and the regular season have never been more divergent than they are in today's NBA. And so I'm going to wait this regular season lower than I might have in the past, both for that reason and also just because this is kind of a bullshit regular season, honestly, with so many players missing games and COVID and the crazy pace of the games as well. The fact that some of these teams just finished playing in the bubble two months before the season started... All of that stuff makes me wait the regular season this year lower than I might have in the past, with the exception, I would say, that. If this reg- regular season is being used to show that a guy is still at the same level that he was, for particularly for guys who, Stephen Curry and KD, that comes in, into play, guys who basically missed last year. And so you have to, you're you kind of like, all right, is this guy still the same player that he was? And now you can say, okay, this, he looks as good as you could possibly expect in, in this regular season. So now you can kind of go back to where they were a little bit more uh, before this Um, Anything else you want to say? I got one more.
2: Yeah, and I think one other thing worth mentioning briefly is the timing of this podcast and doing these rankings is deliberate where the playoffs are a dominant part of these analysis and it's conceptual and actual, you know, what the guys did last year. But having a little bit of distance From that, it can be very useful. Also, we get to see how the guys look the ensuing year. And so doing this, you know, roughly a month before the end of the regular season, I think is the optimum time for doing it. It's
1: part of why we do. Well, it's just the hardest to do right now and the the most interesting, right? Anybody, I shouldn't say anybody, but it's much easier to do this right after a playoffs just completed, right? Last year, it would have been easy to rank LeBron James number one after the playoffs was. Completed. We're kind of doing this somewhat as a prediction to, and we'll of course hold ourselves accountable for where we were last year. That'll be a one of the topics. But the bubble ended up being kind of crazy, and that that will change things a little bit. But this is kind of an attempt to project how these players might play in the upcoming playoffs to some degree as well. And then the last thing I'll say, which is related to my point of the stats. And relying a little bit less on them than I have it in the past is a big part of this is going to be what a player is rather than how good he is. So, if again, that falls into how you can play with this player, the things that the player is capable of doing rather than the statistics that he's putting up or even how good your team is in the regular season necessarily and obviously how good you are at those things matters a ton but if there's just certain things that you can't do if you just don't have that level of versatility as a star whether that's as a scorer it's as a defender that's gonna ding you in these rankings at least for me so let us begin, Danny. Tier one, who you got?
2: My tier one is three players who, when we did positional definitions, we all had it. We had all three of them at the same position. And um, this is a different criteria to some extent. But I think that for me, those three have separated themselves. You, you, We're talking about championship equity and what they've done. It just so happens that they are the three individuals who were the best player on the last three championship teams. And I think that is potentially informative here. I went with LeBron James number one. Kawhi Leonard, number two, and Kevin Durant, number three. It might be a little premature with Kevin Durant. There are some big questions that he has not yet answered. But to me, he has answered a sufficient number of the big questions that I'm going to put him back here. We'll talk about him later. But I want. we should start with LeBron James because not only is LeBron being one significant, LeBron being number one after... So last year, I had him number three and had him in tier two. If you remember kind of the year he had had preceding the bubble, I, I thought it was justified. And then he was unbelievable. You know the best player on the championship team, and did everything else, and has been very strong when healthy this year.
1: Okay, well, let's start with LeBron. You and I will have some dis- disagreement on KD. I'll, I'll get you there. I thought I actually I was pretty aggressive where I ranked him, and uh, I, you went higher than I did. LeBron is number one in his own tier for me right now, and he just he proved it again last year in the playoffs. I thought that he was playing at, at a level to be the MVP this season before some of the injuries uh, took hold with both David and him he was right back to that level before he had the high ankle sprain and I'm going to give him credit for being healthy again from that high ankle sprain that's how we do this these upcoming playoffs perhaps he won't be fully healthy from that high ankle sprain or perhaps it'll be because he's getting older and then we go into next year and it will be 37 and maybe it's just not realistic to expect him to be at this level but to me he got back to that level last year I mean if if well let me let me ask you this if we did these rankings at the end of last play like after the playoffs were over and we were just saying who were the top 10 players in the nba last year but we were doing the rankings it wasn't forward-facing it was just based on, on what they did last year except in the guys who are injured lebron james is number one in tier one by himself would you agree with that
2: Probably, I mean, the dispiriting end to Kawhi Leonard's playoffs probably push him down. But in terms of like yeah. the conceptual player quality, I still think those guys are in the same in the same ballpark. To me, actually, you know, and and I had previously put. Giannis like that was that was the guy who was in my who was in my tier one last year and the recurrence of his playoff issues like that that would actually in some ways be the biggest change we'll get to him later yeah but LeBron versus Kawhi is an interesting challenge because LeBron is so unbelievably good great at the things that he does well and you know these amazing passer his defense is while not not the same as it was in his prime still very valuable you know as a kind of like a center fielder strong safety to free safety type of guy who isn't necessarily the best on ball player anymore like that that isn't necessarily what he does um that's still
1: dudes are still scared of him when he's on the ball though i will say that they are he, he he is a psychological effect defensively whether it's around the rim or on the ball in a way that basically, I would say, maybe you could say Draymond has that. I would even say LeBron has it more than Draymond among perimeter players. He, you see dudes get psyched out by him all the time. It's it's I mean maybe it's just due to his stature, but it's it's hilarious.
2: To watch that sometimes. So something that I think is interesting um, in terms of thinking about and and LeBron, obviously an unbelievable player, I have him number one as well. Though we with the tier thing, we'll get to one demerit for him that didn't rear its head in the playoffs, but could in a theoretical next playoffs or in other circumstances is. He hasn't been the same level of clutch scorer creator over the last couple of years. If you remember going into last year's playoffs, we were concerned about the Lakers' crunch time offense. The when LeBron was on the floor, 106 offensive rating, hit an unsustainably bad 51% true shooting for or sorry, actually he was even lower than that before. The the Lakers were good in the playoffs. They were they were very good, but it was kind of a different, a different thing. And especially when you think about opposition, then you scale that forward to this year. LeBron, unbelievable player, MVP candidate one healthy 56% true shooting in clutch situations that's far from bad when you think about defenses ramping up and everything else but he both in terms of creating for others which that part has been better for the Lakers and creating for himself he isn't quite that guy anymore and he doesn't have to be that guy to be the best player in the league but it is something I think that is worth discussing
1: absolutely worth discussing but i ultimately in thinking about it have dismissed that because i've just seen him elevate his game in the playoffs so many times now that until he doesn't do that i'm going to continue to believe that he can and yeah age 36 this this is 35 was close to uncharted territory last year really only Jordan maybe Kareem had gotten to that level at age 35 now 36 Jordan retired after 35 this would be basically the oldest we've ever seen someone be the best player in the NBA but yeah after the clutch failures of Kawhi last year I mean well, I, I think so it's he, in here, some I'll, ways I'll, it's, I'll yeah. throw
2: I'll throw a little bit on this just just to, to yeah. note it the Lakers won the championship last year and deservedly so They were not a great clutch team, especially offensively, in the playoffs last year. Like, they just, they didn't play many, you know, they didn't have to deal with it very often. They ended up winning a majority of those games. 96 clutch offensive rating. LeBron was, had a, he actually had a, based on the NBA stats, this is such a ridiculous one that I almost believe that I might, that it might be logging it incorrectly, but 33% 35 or, or 33% true shooting for LeBron in those, you know, within 5 within the last 5 minutes. And the Lakers didn't need those to win the championship, but the idea that LeBron is definitely that guy in clutch situations? Like they won the title, but they didn't do it that way. They did it another way. But if they're facing better opposition, different opposition, healthier opposition, I I think it's still a very I think it's a more real concern than you do.
1: Yeah, I do think that those numbers are skewed a little bit by the fact that when they are up he tends to just shovel sure. the air out of the ball and shoot a, a to waste time but then which is part of the the idea and then to
2: And they didn't have to come uh, from behind that often from what i recall. Right.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it, honestly, you're probably usually going to have a better clutch offensive rating when you're behind than when you're ahead. Like I, I think being ahead going into those situations actually probably depresses your clutch offensive rating. But there's also, I, I mean, I'll say this too: I don't know who on this list I trudge more in a clutch situation than than LeBron James. Oh, I have one. I have one, and that's yeah.
2: why that's why he's in my tier. That's why he's in my tier one and not in yours.
1: Uh, 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 KD. Yep
2: yeah um
1: i'll also like to see i i mean kd has been basically now he, he deserves credit for this but he's also been on essentially two of like maybe the five greatest offensive teams of all time in terms of the talent that's been around him in these years and so it would be interesting to see what it would look like in a different situation with him and it might look more like it looked in okc where he had some turnover problems which I, I, that's actually one thing that he's struggled with uh, this year for example but we'll talk more about kd later but yeah to to me lebron has just earned this i think he's the first or second best player of all time he's still close enough to the peak of his powers. And I think it's also more moving Kawhi down into another tier. And I think I had Kawhi number one last year. Remember James was coming off the groin injury last year. We didn't know that he could get back to this level in the playoffs. I thought he proved that to me last year and then continued on with a very good regular season this year. Uh, Part of this is about Kawhi getting the ding uh, and moving down. That's part of, from last year, that's part of why I have him in a lower tier than LeBron. Um, But let's, let's, you want to talk more uh, about Kawhi Leonard? I, I think some people would be still would say that he's too high right now.
2: I'm guessing that they would, and it's true that Kawhi's defensive fastball is not what it once was. That's that's true for many players as they get older. That's true for many players as they take on a higher offensive role. But he's still capable. He's still you know the the frigging mitts that he has are still incredibly disruptive. You can see that in big moments. Even in even in the series they lost against the Nuggets, he had a few big defensive plays. But. I focus a lot on the idea of undeniability, and Kawhi looked more deniable, significantly more deniable in the 2020 playoffs than he did in 2019. But again, we're like, unfortunately also because Kawhi has missed so much time, prime, you know, prime time due to injuries in his career. You know, you're still working from a relatively small sample overall. I thought that the Mavericks series didn't do him any didn't do him any harm, and yeah, the the Nuggets series did. And I'm not going to you know dissuade me from that. Like that, that's totally fair and 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 important. But the combination. of of generating efficient, albeit imperfect, offense and being a defensive force in somewhat of a different way. Like that puts him in this conversation for me.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And the Clippers offense has been unbelievable this year. They now have the number one offense. And yes, it's not all him. Uh, But his playmaking has continued to to improve and he still is solid defensively. And this also gets into the idea of what a player is. And Kawhi Leonard can fit on basically any team. He can shoot off the ball. He can fit in defensively on any team. He he can be a part of basically any scheme that you want him to be a part of. He still is a a big defensive plus, even if he's not all defense quality anymore, necessarily. And he also just has very resilient scoring. In the postseason, the ability to hit tough shots, the ability to just abuse defenders and score in a way where you just have to double team him away from the rim. And if you don't have the right defender on him, and even then you can get him involved in some screens with smaller players and get a tough matchup for the defender against him. And I, I'm i just also not going to ding him that much for the playoffs last year. I mean, I think he's had every bit the regular season that you would have hoped. He had every bit the regular season you would have hoped last year. He was unbelievable in the 2019 playoffs. He also has dispelled some concerns about his health this year, actually playing in back-to-backs. Yeah, he's had some soreness. He's missed some games. But uh, the idea that this quad issue was going to be a chronic problem for him that would continue to affect him, I, I think, has been dispelled this season. So... I'm just not willing to drop him that much based on those weird 2020 playoffs. I I mentioned that I was gonna discount this year a little bit in terms of the regular season, but I also put a little bit of a discount on those bubble playoffs as well, given how weird of a situation it was. So he deserves to be in here for me. He's number two on mine in tier two, but I do have a third player in that group. It is not Kevin Durant. It is Stephen Curry.
2: Interesting.
1: To me, Steph Curry, Thank you. the cat certainly deserved to be right in this range after the 2019 playoffs where he averaged 38 points a game in the west finals admittedly against a weaker than average west playoff team for the finals he closed out a really good houston team after kd went down with a, I i mean honestly a pretty limited group you know this is a team that was had draymond and it had clay but they really had just about nothing else at, at that point i mean iguodala gave them a little something that year but at times in could still defend but he's kind of as an offensive player really kind of on the down swing and then even against an all-time great defense in the raptors he put up some really awesome games in that series as well and a big part of what to the extent that they stopped and it was because you know they're playing Alfonso mckinney 20 minutes a game <laughs> or whatever it well and
2: and the, and the entire raptors defensive scheme was built on stopping Steph Curry like yeah. if you get to that point in most circumstances it's putting the other it's putting your teammates in a situation to succeed now part of the reason the Raptors did that was because they knew the Warriors teammates were not good enough to get there but it also part of it was the the individual just ridiculousness of Stephen Curry
1: well and I think for Steph it's crazy as it is to say with him having now turned 33 maybe that rest year did him some good but I think he's as good he's not as good as he was in 2016 but I think he's as good or better than he was in twenty. I think even defensively, you can argue he's might be a little bit better because uh, he's gotten a lot stronger. And I think that's helped him uh, on both ends to some degree. He still is in unbelievable shape from a cardio standpoint and his off-ball movement. The one concern that I might have about him is against really good veteran defenses with this current Warriors team that he doesn't do as well i mean we, we've seen him just completely destroy bad teams that just like aren't used to dealing with his off-ball movement and stuff and i think but it's also worth noting just how incredibly limited this warriors team well, that he's on is
2: so that that's actually so i have i have curry a little lower but the, that i have a stat on that because i thought this it was just so telling this season's warriors have no other clear cut off as I would define it no other clear cut offensive positives in their starting lineup like overall you know think of the limitations in it and very few very few in their rotation overall I mean you can have discussions about Jordan Poole and a few other guys but very few if any. yeah
1: Jordan Poole is probably their second best offensive player on this team
2: and yet the Warriors have a 115.4 offensive rating in Curry's minutes that's I think clean the glasses version it's like 74th percentile and you might say oh 74th percentile it's not like in the 80s or 90s that is incredible. Like that is truly incredible to have an individual player who everybody knows is the only person who you who you really need to think about and and can do that. And that's why Curry to me, like the the phrasing I, I did write ups for some of these guys. It's like he's the most dangerous and the most valuable offensive player in the NBA. And a part of why that is true is remember, we're not just saying him on the Warriors right now. It's Stephen Curry on a random team. Is yeah. he,
1: he can fit just he offensively about he fits he everywhere. Might, yeah. He might have to do a little bit more on-ball stuff. You might say that Draymond Green does help him, uh, although he certainly helps Draymond Green uh, offensively as well. And so you, you might say to really unlock him, you'd want to have one more playmaker who can at least get him the ball when he's doing the off-ball stuff. Uh, but outside of that, I think there really are few limitations to right. what he so like, can do if offensively. You,
2: if you swapped Stephen Curry with Kemba Walker on the Celtics, like think about how, how, differently, how differently the Celtics' offense would look. Or, you know... Stephen LeBron. Like I'm not saying, you know, the Lakers would be so much better offensively or something like that, but it would, you know, he would work with their talent. He would work, you you could put him in any place and part of why Curry is more valuable offensively, just offensively than anybody else is because Of the work that he does off ball. And so that means that he can, he's the best shooter of all time. He can do that. But why Curry isn't in that's kind of like, I guess it would be your second tier because you have LeBron in his own for me is the like the defense, the defensive stuff. I mean, the the idea that he is, you know, he does better than a lot of the offense only guys and he plays a less strenuous defensive position, especially because Curry has been relatively competent defending, you know, like twos and stuff. You know, like if you put him on your worst, the other team's worst guard, he'll do okay. And that can be useful because then you could put, you know, like the role that Clay had or numerous other, like if you want to use resources to get an on-ball guy, you can do it. I think that's a worthwhile idea. Like the idea of Steph on the Celtics, let's say. But, you know, that is still compared to some of the other players we're going to talk about. Like there there are players who are worse defensively, but there are a ton of players who are, who, who are real value adds there. And, you know, like we talked about that a little bit with Kawhi. And that is a, to me, that is a fundamentally different thing. And so y- you can argue that offense is more important than defense but I think that the margin the margin for let's say Steph versus Giannis for me is Giannis was the defensive player of the year last year I think he was number two or number three on my ballot this year last time we did it like that is a very different level of of value
1: yeah I I think just that Steph Curry is a guy that I see as being possibly the, the main offensive engine on a championship team and I don't think that Giannis has proven that he can do that Yeah, and one of the things about curry he's clearly proven over the course of his career and even this year as well that while is he adding that much as a positive on defense maybe not but he also isn't preventing you from having a good defense and in fact i would argue because of the way that he plays offense he kind of helps your defense because you can have more defensive players out there with him maybe than with some of these other guys um
2: kind of the russell westbrook mvp argument yeah
1: a a, a little bit There, yeah, but yeah, I I think his offense is more resilient than some of these other guys who need to get who are trying to get to the basket more and therefore need more spacing around them. Giannis being a a perfect example of that. Um, So. And Steph is a very solid rebounder. He executes his help responsibilities. He's actually reduced his foul rate a lot too. I think that's a big part of why you can talk about him being probably, he's probably to me having the best defensive season of his career and he's gotten stronger as it's tougher for him to get overwhelmed in some of those matchups, although it still obviously will happen in the playoffs. Um, now KD, let's talk about him because you had him in this year. You had Steph out, you explain why you had Steph out. Um, Also, I'm not even actually sure Steph is the best offensive player. It might even be Jokic, but he's going to be further down this list for me, and I'll explain why that is but KD I think it was just for me if you obviously 2019 Kevin Durant that guy he would probably be in tier one with LeBron James right now if you told me that guy before he tore the Achilles is back now Steph Curry missed missed a year but he missed it with a hand injury and so I feel more comfortable saying all right you want to take that 2019 playoff performance and extrapolate it forward to what they could do in this year's playoffs I feel more comfortable with that than with KD because of the Achilles and yes he has done just about everything other than stay healthy throughout this year that you could to prove that he's back and that he's at pretty much the same level and, and the individual statistics are right where they were before I do think that his defensive impact is not going to be the same it, you know I haven't really seen him have much of a positive impact on that end which he during the regular season that it always d- dropped off a little bit uh I credit him for getting into better shape and being thinner and that, I think that helps him reduce injuries and it's helped him preserve his athleticism despite the Achilles. But he also is not going to be probably quite as effective defensively playing at a lower weight than he has. I, I think that was the right decision, but it's also that's, it's a little bit different for him now defensively than it was before when I think he was a, a little bit stronger. Um, I think he can still switch and be decent on ball, but I don't know. How, I, and, and again, he can very much answer these questions, right? Like if, When we do at the end, the player who has the most possibility to move up like Kevin Durant could move up to be number one on this list at the end but I'm just like man I as much as I've seen from him I just can't be that credulous that he's the exact same guy that he was before tearing the Achilles and we just haven't seen enough from him we haven't seen it under stress in the playoffs
2: yeah here's here's the way that I would phrase this one Durant's value as a top player in the especially in in recent years was not primarily derived by his defense. I agree with you that there will be a, a step back, but I also think for me based on where he was before the Achilles injury at all, this is actually a step back for me. Like he was in the conversation more firmly for the best player in the NBA. And the other part would be well, I I started really thinking about it. And yes, he's missed time due to due to various things over the course of this year. When I watch Kevin Durant play offense this year, if I had if I had, I try to do the like if if I didn't Know that he had torn his Achilles, you know, a year and a half ago. Would I notice it? And the answer is, offensively, no, not really. Like there may be a few little times where he's like a little bit more tender, but not, not really. And I mean, the whether you want to use a, an eye test or a or a stats based one his offensive dominance is, is is right back where it was like it and yeah
1: I, and, I mean the the thing to me i agree with every single thing you're saying i just don't believe that what we this regular season has been enough of a stress test being on this brooklyn team being rested as much as he is not being the focus of like a good playoff defense i mean how many how many regular season games have the nets even played against a really good defense you know, maybe, maybe that game against Milwaukee. Yeah. But, so, the but, so, here, but like, so here's the like thing. We're talking about one or two games that's like against real playoff competition. So
2: but far but if we're comparing like regular season to regular season, especially when you consider that even in when, when healthy, he would take his foot off the accelerator, let's call it at, at times during the regular season. Like it, you are relying, it is reading tea leaves, but I'm willing, sure. I'm willing to read those tea leaves like that. That is for me. I will defer, especially when athletically he looks pretty much like the skill level is still, still there. I mean durant
1: well well I, I I will say one thing actually in in the stats that's a little different you said athletic he he's still there there is a little bit lower number of shots at the rim mm-hmm and also, just the second spectrum stuff, he is more reliant on taking tougher shots. Again, that's this Nets team is not what that Warriors team was, at least given who's been healthy. He's played what, like five games with James Harden or something like that. Uh, but they still had a, a pretty good ecosystem for him before that with all the shooting and, and Kyrie playing with him. His shot, his diet of shots is a little bit harder than it was before. And so, if you maybe, yes, he's one of the greatest tough shot makers of all time and he's just an absolute clinician but and the turnovers being up a little bit higher too is the is the other thing i might point to there's some very subtle things that you can say all right if he's got to go up against like really awesome isolation defenders in the playoffs and there aren't that many of those but still (laughs) and there really uh,
2: aren't that many in the east um not that conference specific stuff because remember we're putting them on a random team um but that gets into one of the things that i think is is so is relevant here is the idea of undeniability and just i trust that kevin durant can get to his shot and make a shot yeah he's not going to run an offense in the same way that Steph Curry is you know the and and Curry you know he's not always used as the every down quarterback in the way that Kerr's doing it but remember random team there too but he fits in with everybody like you you, Kevin Durant will supercharge and if you if you don't have that you know you don't have that creator well he's gonna make a guy who's worse a whole lot better and if you do have that player then you're getting into supernova territory very quickly and he's big enough that he can get his shot off you know he's big enough that if you want to you want to switch on him good fucking luck like, that, that, the elements there that it's hard to—he has these limitations in terms of creation and turning it over and all that. I, I acknowledge all that. But the theory of Kevin Durant as an offensive player has always been fundamentally different than Curry and LeBron. And over time, he has beaten me into submission that it works. Like, I was skeptical, you know, like, I mean, going into when he was in OKC and everything is like going there. But he's proven it enough that I'm just like it's there it's there for me I'm willing I'm willing to say that 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 he'll do it again because he's done it so much and I agree that this is a different sample I agree it is a different circumstance I just I trust in it
1: yeah and if he has a great playoffs I will trust in it also it's just the intellectual understanding of this is what happens to guys who suffer torn Achilles that they are not the same and I hope to God that I am wrong and that Kevin Durant truly is the exact same guy. He's well exceeded expectations in terms of what he's been able to do so far this year. But that's probably enough on him. I actually have him at number five in tier three. And my number four at the top of tier three is Anthony David. Where did you have Anthony David?
2: So I had a three-player tier, which is my number four through number six and that um, so I already talked about my top three. That is Stephen Curry at four, Giannis at five, 80 at six. This was the hardest group to separate. And there are to me, there are clear arguments for each one of them. I mean, you had Steph over both of those guys anyway, let's say. But I think that it is it, there the, to me, it's splitting hairs between those three, even though in many ways, they're very different.
1: Yeah, it is for me. And this group, uh, I had eighty-four, KD five, Giannis six, Embiid seven, and Luca eight. That closes out. That closes out this group uh, for me. And I'm sure there will be a lot of anger about Nikola Jokic not being in my top eight. And I, uh, we discussed it amply on the Center Rankings podcast. But uh, obviously, I will rehash that here for uh, the free pod in eh, maybe not a moment, maybe uh, many tens of, of moments from now but let's talk about anthony davis you had him five i had him four. a pretty similar tiering uh for both of us other than the fact this is my tier 3 your two because i had lebron in his own tier at the top so uh, let's discuss uh, anthony davis and i wonder whether some people would say that he's higher than they think that, that he should be because clearly davis to me doesn't have as much value as probably the top the other you know, you probably got to go down to maybe like 12th or 13th if you're talking about him being the best player on a team as far as a, what he can do there, uh, at least in terms of his offense. But to me, he is maybe, I wouldn't say maybe, he is the best suited second banana and you need that player to win a championship having an awesome second banana sometimes that's even at least offensively who is also just a great defensive player and is easy to fit around I think he's probably, you might say, is the easiest fit uh, of any of these players that you're talking about in the top 10 because he doesn't need the ball to succeed and he still does a ton of other stuff. I think this is just a, about the value of a number two. And then the, the last thing I will add is that I think he has clearly established himself as the best playoff defensive player in the NBA.
2: I I think the second place is where where I want to start. I mean, Davis, not only because he is a wonderful rim protector, but because he can, you know he could do well on switches. you can you can run a lot of different things with him at center. He can also play next to when you want to. he can play next to a five. that is incredibly valuable too and Why Davis is in this tier for me, despite some of the limitations. I mean, as a primary star, he he is lower. Is that specifically the things that he does not do well offensively are relatively acquirable, or you know, like a lot of teams have a primary ball handler who, well, maybe they're not as good as LeBron James or Stephen Curry or whatever else that can do it. Like if you put LeBron or if you put AD with kemba or trey young or drew holiday yeah. the, you know, like, there
1: and there are more of those players than there have ever been we're going to get down way lower on this list but yeah trey or devin booker or bradley beal sure. or like he, jason he, tatum like there are god can you imagine if he if he and zion were, were together that would be that would have yeah. been so awesome uh and, I, I mean i'm sure he's happier in la having won a championship last year but
2: still but but so that is that is important for the anthony davis case and he also like, but it does matter to me too that he partially by choice and partially because he you know he picks up nicks and misses games. He is a less valuable regular season player than some of the other guys, than every guy I have in this tier and some guys in, in lower ones. I mean, he doesn't want to play center, and that is the most valuable thing. And he, but he is still an immensely important defensive player and fits in beautifully offensively. So I, I think that the other part of this, and this came, this has come up a few times we do the rankings. Part of why AD is here for me. And actually why I have a narrower tier here is, is the idea of that. I trust other guys less. And so Giannis, to me, er, like he is in this tier while for me, Embiid and Luka are not because he has proven to be the most valuable regular season player in the league over the last three years. And there's no reason to believe that that is going to abate, you know, like maybe not, he's not going to win the award every year, but he's in the conversation. He's incredibly valuable defensively. He takes on enough of an offensive role. So like he is, he has earned his way here by do even with the playoff flaws, which hopefully at some point he can switch, but not right now. Um, and so, you know, those two guys, it's, it's interesting. It's, in certain ways, like you value championship, you know, equity in some ways a little bit more than I do. And so I have no problem having AD over Giannis for sure. I, I don't have it that way. But Davis being able to work with almost anybody else is so rare and in he and doing it as it's interesting cuz like you could think in certain other eras like going back to Scotty Pippen or other ones where having that second star be a wing is really valuable but right now when you think about the defensive concepts that exist and you think about what kind of offensive role you would want for a complimentary player Davis fits perfectly like you because he is so much better offensively than the defensive players who fit that description and he's so much better defensively than most of the offensive players who fit that description
1: yeah and just uh, let's just run through the list of his skill set right i said at the beginning that i was going to talk some about what a player is and what he is he can shoot the three now, I am open to the argument that his shooting in the bubble last year was above where it realistically could be expected to be in future playoffs. And I actually, I would say that uh, on this list, AD has a lot of potential downward mobility uh, sure. based uh, on what yeah. happens. There uh, also, just, also, just also to this just Achilles like calf thing's a little concerning,
2: AD uh, shot to be fi- sure. AD shot 55% on long twos in the playoffs last year.
1: Yeah, and he was like 40% from three as well. But surely like he's at the point where he's getting guarded from three. That helps uh, him play with another set center and so you can really if you're going up against a team that really likes to bang it inside you can have him be that second guy he could guard Jimmy Butler last year he could guard Nikola Jokic last year he could guard Giannis last year he 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 can switch on to basically anyone in the nba and do at least a credible job if you want to go to a switching group he can get out on the floor and force you to give the ball up we saw that against damian lillard both when he was a pelican and last year and then against james harden as well he can fly around play that kind of a style defensively as well Uh, then on offense, he can roll to the basket. He might be a a top-five roll man of all time. Uh, He's excellent on the offensive glass. He sprints the floor. On offense, that it became basically something that we were... Couldn't stop talking about it in the NBA cast where every time he contests a perimeter shot, he just runs down the floor and gets fouled because the guy is the little guy who just shot over him is, can't do anything except just grab him at the charge circle. He can still work a little bit in isolation as well. In the playoffs last year, when LeBron was off the floor, he was able to carry them well enough. Also, his passing is improved to the point where that's now a strength as well. So he can, other than just you know initiate plays at the same level he can do everything else on the floor and it just fits around so perfectly and he's doing it at a level defensively where he's probably the best playoff even oh b- pretty awesome protecting the rim too if we yeah. didn't
2: mention that and you think about well. think about how he flummoxed Goran Dragic when nobody else had and yeah David, that's
1: David, a great point right even on in the mid-range on some of those those shots that you kind of expect to be open in today's NBA, he was able to take that out
2: yeah and and Davis's defensive versatility is a huge part of an argument over Giannis because one of the other things that Giannis can't do is get through a screen neither of these guys is great at it but Davis I think he's I think he's a little bit more scheme versatile he's also a little bigger he's
1: guarded Kawhi before reasonably well
2: yeah and so that is you know and Giannis is a more valuable regular season defender I mean he just he does it more he has a higher leverage role has done it well for years now but that's a, par- a part of the equation but not the whole whole thing and the the Giannis ADR I mean I think of it as splitting hairs even though like the the demerits for Giannis are more prominent I mean the idea that he has a big role within the Bucks offense but you wonder about how that is that sustainable against t- teams the higher level you know the, the idea that the better like this came up in in terms of Gobert's defense recently, the best teams in the league are going to have a higher proportion of the players and in certain cases the coaches that will give that will bring his limitations to the forefront. And that is a real challenge. Like that is a problem for Giannis that you have to reconcile. And he he can absolutely improve in those elements. We've seen a lot of guys, I mean, Kawhi, while they're not the same player, like Kawhi grew a lot from age 26 to age 29, especially as a distributor. Giannis can still do some of that too. Like not keeping his head up more instead of developing a head of steam as a driver. Some of those different elements. So I I definitely agree with you that Davis is a more valuable secondary star, second banana, whatever you want to use than Giannis. And so it it is interesting though, when somebody who's the two-time MVP and in the conversation this year, is at this point like this kind of in some ways is similar to what we used to get into with Harden back in the day where Harden was had been in the MVP mix for a couple years in a row but I think this is where Giannis should be
1: yeah and I'm I have AD higher than Giannis again perhaps due to my postseason slash championship bias and Giannis has certainly had good playoff series before but I think if you had to point to the reasons why the Bucs lost the last two years his struggles would be very very high on that list and his defense to me has not been as valuable in the playoffs we'll see whether that changes this year uh but clearly the heat were able to exploit that bucks defense pretty well and I thought the Bucs defended better in 2019 but uh, Kawhi was still able to uh, attack there Giannis really is not capable of guarding Jimmy Butler or Kawhi there's all these calls to put him on there and uh, maybe maybe he'll do that more this year but he's more valuable as a health defender I think that's correct to not necessarily put him on those guys um yeah I don't really have much to to add uh, about Giannis at this point I'm starting to worry a little bit about health for him there was yeah. the sprained ankle in the playoffs last year He's seems to have these knee issues. He wants to play more minutes this year with you know his not being able to play more minutes was a or I mean, part of that might have been his coach, but not being able to play more minutes in the playoffs last year was a problem. He's playing more in the regular season this year, but we'll see whether that catches up to him. And one thing that does make me feel better about him is his free throw shooting getting to be more reliable than it had been. That was a major, major concern for me as well. That's a, been a, a part of why they've had some struggles in the playoffs the, the last couple of years. Uh, and he's a guy who, if he has an awesome playoffs this year, he has a lot of upside potential uh, to rocket up this list uh, for sure um but yeah just the overall health and particularly the way that he plays all those like long strides the euro steps crashing into traffic all the time like you're at a pretty big risk for a sprained ankle or or god forbid a a knee injury that's how a lot of guys get hurt Uh, you know he's got a a better body than a lot of those guys but uh the mid-range game is like developing very slightly but obviously we know that he's not going to be a main uh, on ball guy um and and something something
2: i find so fascinating in terms of where where our evaluation of be honest goes from here is that there isn't really, to me, a team like the Raptors or the Heat in this year's Eastern Conference playoffs. So how we interpret whatever we get is going to be interesting. Like you know, yeah, if, we'll
1: see. We'll see whether Philly can cause problems for in the same way. But they're probably not going to play each other uh, unless the Bucks beat Brooklyn at, at if the current standings hold.
2: Yeah, we'll, we'll see where the. I, I think that might end up being the two three. But it'll it'll just depend. But I think the next next point of of real interest for but, me. Well,
1: l- last thing I'll say sure. on just uh, on AD being better than Giannis to me, like AD was just so much better in the playoffs than Giannis was last year. Like that's kind of the tiebreaker. For me, again, I have them in the same tier
2: it was but I mean I would love to see Giannis have the opportunity to kind of play next to somebody I mean his game doesn't fit as well but you know AD had an easier job to do but he did it way better so I think that's that's totally fair to note so what I think is the most compelling part of this we haven't gotten to because we're kind of going yeah, in order
1: we have the same top six just in different order just right? in different LeBron, order on yeah. Kawhi Steph AD KD and Giannis that's my yeah. top six you have the same guys in different
2: order. I, I do um but so I my tier ends there and it ties in with something. Thing that is a a difference between the two of us. In many circumstances, you go to top prospect rankings or many other things. Is that I am a little bit more cautious, conservative when it comes to players who conceptually can do it but have not yet done it. And that's how I would describe Embiid and, and Luca. Luca, you know, he he was actually I think technically he was higher in my rankings last year, but as a functional matter, it's pretty similar. Um, and Embiid, he is he. This is the best he has ever been for sure by by a significant margin, but. I don't know, the baggage The baggage of other years, it still holds with me a little bit. I, I, I'm I'm acknowledging that if those guys do what I hope and expect they will do in the playoffs, that they will move up, I just wasn't willing to put them there yet.
1: Yeah, and I completely understand that. So I, I have Embiid and Doncic in this group, and I was encouraged by what I saw in the playoffs last year from Luka. I, I thought that was pretty good at going against, you know, very undermanned. Uh, I think he's better defensively than James Harden. He's largely held up when teams have tried to go at him one-on-one with the exception of the other day against DeMar DeRozan of all people but it's not like the Clippers were just like totally attacking him and that certainly is kind of the way that Doc Rivers thinks so uh, he held up pretty well in that respect in the playoffs last year the three-point shooting this year getting up to 37 percent like if that's real oh man Uh, you know Luke had a tough start to the year he was shooting like 20 percent from three for the first like three four weeks and since then he's been absolutely ridiculous he's Regular season, I think there's no argument that he should be in here and... uh but I just I don't necessarily see an intellectual reason why he wouldn't be as effective in the playoffs and the small sample size that we have seen indicates that it's kind of similar to AD in that respect when he was with the Pels where yeah he wasn't in the playoffs that much he didn't have that much of a sample but when he was there it did look really good and there was no reason based on the way his game works why the playoffs would be much different for him so that that's kind of my thinking uh, on having him uh, in this group and he, he certainly is right up there to me as the in the conversation for the, the best offensive force uh, in basketball i think he's good enough defensively that he's not uh- a negative to where he's going to torpedo your defense in the playoffs. Um,
2: well, I'll say so for me, yeah. like for in terms of the overall offensive force, Luca still has the potential to grow into like being a better off-ball player. You, you and I were so encouraged dur- at moments during the yeah. most recent NBA cast that he was doing some more work off-ball, but he isn't quite the level of shooter and all that. So I think that Luca is less he's less offensively versatile at this point in his career. Now he's 20, he's yeah. 21. Like he, he can get there, but.
1: Well, with... uh, they've also been posting him up at the end of yes. games, which has been extremely effective.
2: Yeah, that's true. Recently. And and so I, that, I, I, that's
1: been really exciting to me also. But the, I, idea, I, I,
2: yeah. the idea of how he would fit with another kind of ball dominant player, and he's done some stuff with Jalen Brunson and all that, but you know, you're throwing it in different circumstances. I'm, le- for example, I'm less confident that Luca can fill that role than Stephen Curry because partially Steph has done it and partially just because the, the theory of their game Games, their theory of their games is a little bit different, so that's part of it for me. Yeah, Luca, no, no demerits really in his playoff stuff. Um, so I, I'm, yeah, I, I think that that's it's fair, and I mean that's where I had him last year. And the, Luca, the only thing that he did to kind of, would say, weaken my trust for him to fall a little bit is just he hasn't taken the step forward overall. Unless this three point shooting is real, and we're gonna have to see that over the course of a full season, not part of part of a, part of a season. But he hasn't really taken taken a big step forward. And there's this idea that I always posit that young players who are really good get a lot better. And this has been more similar for me for Luca. And so in his playoffs were better than I anticipated, but I would say this season is a little bit worse.
1: Yeah, I think with the three-point shooting in the post game, yeah, the the stats may not be as good. They've also gone to a more defense-focused group around yeah. him.
2: And it's I, been I a weird season for the Mavericks, for sure. Like, there, there's yeah. content And, and,
1: and, the and Porzingis hasn't been as good. He hasn't played as much this year as he did last year. They swap out Seth Curry for Josh Richardson as well. Um, yeah, I think really just the, he, again, is that archetype that's really going to help you. I do want to see him on a more varied team where he, he is not so heliocentric but i i was encouraged against good wing defenders what he did last year in the playoffs and so i i think he deserves it to be here
2: the other thing that's interesting about luka versus let's say somebody like Jokic, and i i, I ended up with them in the same tier but that was a kind of just because for a couple other reasons but even if Luca is limited as a, as a defensive player it's not that hard to manage that you know like it let even if he's like let's say he's solid or average or something like that a solid or average 2-3 is so much easier to work with than a solid or average or center, Like that just as a practical matter to build a viable defense. Like that and that's a part of why Lucas is, is at least over Jokic to me. I didn't have him in a different tier, but that, that is a, a big part of the argument for me. So let's get to Joel Embiid. I, I think that the way to frame any embiid discussion is that if we were basing this on how he has played so far in the 2020-21 season, he definitely warrants inclusion in this tier, maybe even consideration higher. But I would kind of put my caveats in two different forms. One is just how will the offense translate, especially when you consider, you know, just where the, where the playoff, some of the playoff foibles that they've had, albeit in a weird sample before and just, Embiid is a valuable defensive player, but he's not as versatile a defensive player. So how will that translate against different levels of opponents? So I don't think we're too far apart on him, but I do think that, I mean, as one of the top 10 players in the league, it's worth discussion.
1: Yeah, I have him at number seven uh, in my tier three with AD, KD, Giannis, Embiid, and then Luka. And I'm going a little bit against where I've been in the past by having him this high because he has not proven it in the playoffs. He really has not had a good playoff series against good competition. Now, he also wasn't healthy in 2018, wasn't healthy in 2019. There are also maybe five players in the league who can guard him one-on-one but if you go up against one of those guys then that really really mutes his value as we've seen with with Marcus Gasol or Horford in 2018 not sure whether Horford can still do that to him or not and he's also much better now yes than he used to be i mean there are a number of concerns about joel beat and i i agree with you to me if he's not the best permanent player in this nba regular season he is certainly right up there and the 35 percent usage this historic foul drawing that's basically about as high as Shaq is really the last guy to get into this type of a level as a foul draw and that just puts so much of a stress on your defense and it can even take the other team out of what they want to do offensively because of that because you have to start playing these centers that you don't necessarily want to play or you have to double team. Last year's team didn't really make sense around him. He was had some moments in the playoffs but really just couldn't get the ball. That kind of faded and I think his spirit faded as well last year. But I think some of the concerns that I had about it, okay, just can you really run stuff through a center offensively? Jokic dispelled some of those, although he's just a totally different player with how much he brings the ball up and and all that stuff and his passing and his three-point shooting. But Embiid is not quite at that level, but he's gotten closer to that level this year with, you know, you don't have 35% usage by not being able to get the ball. And he's done it at the end of games this year as well. And he's able to dribble into more stuff than he used to be and his mid-range game has been awesome as well where now he can beat double teams more easily because of that and he doesn't have to just get great position and get the ball. Fronting him the post doesn't work as well. And they've got better pieces around him, more spacing.
2: Well, and, and a different and a different coach. And I mean, there is an argument to yeah. make that remember, this is throwing them on a random team, that Embiid's previous sample is actually in some ways negative for him in terms of surrounding talent and coaching and all of that than it would be if yeah. you, you know, if you reshuffled the deck and, and put out something new. And yeah.
1: if you really went four out around him, which is probably frankly what more teams would do. And you also had a real good pick-and-roll threat with him, which I think most teams would like. If you rank... The Sixers spacing with Ben Simmons and their pick and roll ability. They're probably, you know, in the bottom five in the league in both of those. And so, obviously, Simmons helps the defense and the fast break and all that. But it clearly, this has been discussed ad nauseum, makes it harder for Impede to go to work. And yet he has been so unbelievably effective this year. So, based on what he's been so far in the regular season, clearly well-deserving of this, an argument to be higher. But as I, I will get into here, and you can start us off, there are reasons also to believe that maybe this is too high for him. And, and what are some of those?
2: I mean, one of them is believe it when you see it in the playoffs offensively. I mean, the it it, it is a better conceptual fit, but we need to actually see it. And the Sixers have better better fitting supporting talent now with, you know, with Seth Curry being there and some of the improvements and adjustments that Daryl Morey and Doc have made. That's there. But for me, the more interesting one is Embiid not being that versatile defensively? Like he's very good at what he does, and I think that he is in, at times an underappreciated defender. But you can, you know if you want to run, if you want to run a switch-heavy system, if you wanna if you want to do some of that other stuff, partially due to the foot stuff that he's had and, and various other things, and also he's just not you know he's not the most lithe dude in the world. It, you can't do everything, and I won, I wonder you know how how whether his defensive value will be shifted a little bit when you face teams that aren't trying to get to the rim as much that are trying to draw him into actions trying to get him in foul trouble like all of those different things and so just like I brought up with with other bigs at moments in time like I wonder whether his impact will be there against like the Nets if that series happens
1: yeah. And I think that that is a great point now. And you can say, Hey, Jokic is a center. You said that centers who don't have a lot of scheme versatility, that, that you're going to rank them lower. And I have those concerns about Impito though, but not as much. Number one is, as you mentioned, he at least is good at what he does. Right. right. Like, if you funnel everything into him at the rim, he's going to be a massive intimidator. He's probably one of the top five in that regard, maybe even higher. He also has some more mobility as well. Like, they have tried switching with him before in the past, and he's been okay. Like, there was a, a game against Boston, I want to say, in 2019, where he was guarding Kyrie Irving and he had a key block uh, on him at the end of the game. So, if he does get caught in that, like, you're never going to have that be the primary aspect of the system. But if he does get caught into a late switch, like he's not drawing dead, um, and he can get out on the floor a little bit if you wanted to put two on the ball and fly around a little bit. But yeah, I, I agree with you. That's You're always going to have some kind of a drop system as your primary there. And yes, that is a concern. And we saw that, I think, to some degree in the playoffs last year against Boston. But they've, I think they've done a better job dealing with those types of teams this year. And, well, and, and you also, probably have to, yeah.
2: Sorry, and also, um, they don't have, the Sixers do not have that perfect storm of defensive personnel that they did last year. And yeah, I mean, the Sixers were unbelievable. They're still really good defensively this year. And they, you know, bringing in some smaller players, bringing in some, you know, not playing, not having as much kind of support talent there. And it's still working really well. And they're, they're like that's one of the big differences between Embiid and Jokic is that there is a theory. There is a theory of where it will work and it has worked at least in the regular season and the playoffs were dealing with a small enough sample here that, and, and some kind of specifically weird ones. Like for example, like, I mean, it's, it's crazy to kind of think about this when you have with his prominence in the league, Joel Embiid has played a total of 23 playoff games in his career.
1: No, that's a, that's a great point, And it's, to say that he can't be successful there, I, I'm not going to bother. I, I'm extrapolating that I think he is going to have a pretty good playoffs this year. But that is a problem, and that's why I would well, probably and- pick the Bucs to beat them in the playoffs this year. And I'd probably pick the Nets to beat them because I do think that they have some of those problems with him from a scheme versatility standpoint but I also I could talk myself into myself being wrong about that more easily with Embiid than I can with Jokic because he is very good at the role that he is asked to play
2: yeah and and as somebody who has Embiid and Jokic in the same tier as I did for centers albeit you know Embiid ahead and have him ahead by a couple slots there is also this point to be made that Jokic was better in the 2020 playoffs than Embiid has ever been in the playoffs now there are a bunch of different yeah. reasons to say why that was the case that some of which may be not be repeatable but a lot of it is, and it is, and so that is an it, it's an interesting data point here that like it's not the same as some of the other times, like let's say some of the Harden Steph Curry argu- discussions that we've had over the years are more accurately not arguments between ourselves, but us and other people who disagree with us, and that that Jokic has that stronger playoff history. It matters for me. It didn't, but didn't matter enough for me to put Jokic over Embiid. But it is, it is notable all the same.
1: Yeah, and let's let's keep in mind here too, I've got embiid in a tier between four and eight. This is me saying I could see him being as high as number four. Uh, yeah that's true and and hey if the Sixers win the championship this year they're gonna do it because he was unbelievable and he could be number one next year (laughs) Uh, like he's he has that type of potential so the the defense and the scheme versatility that's one issue another issue is health that is a big issue and I think you have to just say hey and we've seen it again this year he came down ugly we thought his season was over he thought his season was over he's back thankfully but I think you just and obviously having Markel Fultz break his face in 2018 you don't hold that against him is something that's beautiful but certainly the knee issues that he had in 2019 you would he had a, a, a 2017 season he had that season end due to a meniscus so i I think you probably have to realistically say that in 50% of seasons, he's not going to be 100% in the playoffs. I think that's certainly, that might even be generous to him to say that.
2: Yeah, I I think that's totally fair. And this is best players, not most valuable players, but that is, it is a part of what teams, because if he's not on the floor, then that's going to be affect not only your playoff viability, of course, but also your seeding in the playoffs and you have to build your team a little bit differently. You might want to throw more of a resource at backup center Rather than being kind of a set it and forget it, maybe a minimum guy or somebody slightly over a little bit better than that. Where with like Jokic, where you can kind of do that. I mean, remember they started the season with with Hartenstein because Jokic plays all the time and he he gets a lot in there. Also, there's the weird thing that like Jokic, um, he can he can play a lot of minutes partially because the, those minutes are kind of differently impacted. Let's let's put it that way. Um, but. I think that works as a transition. Um, exactly. well,
1: well, no, I got, I got one more thing. Uh, sure. Or, or two more things I should say on a beat. And he was one of the hardest guys to rank in this uh, for me. The mid-range shooting being at basically 50% this year and 38% from three, that is well above where he has been before in his career. He was uh, below average uh, as a mid-range shooter below 40 percent until this year uh, uh michael pina for sports illustrated actually wrote a really nice piece about this you want to read more about that but that's part of why he's been so ridiculous and part of why he's been so ridiculous at the end of games and part of why you can draw these fouls so much too is because guys have to get up on him and that sets up a, his face up a, and drive game and that is probably not real and to say that you're just in one season you went from 38% from mid-range to 50%. That's probably going to regress. You probably need to bake that in a little bit. Now, again, if that is real and that's just what he's going to be from mid-range from now on, I mean, holy shit, right? And so that's, that transition to my last point with him is getting back to this theme of, okay, what are you rather than how good are you? He just kind of breaks some molds. We haven't, he is the best post-up player since Shaquille O'Neal and he has been absolutely devastating in that role. And so this is going to be a test of, all right, if you've really reached this level, and he is did not reach this level to me in previous years where you are truly unstoppable in the post and you can also there's this additional aspect where you can handle the ball in the perimeter and he can shoot from mid-range what does that mean how valuable is that offensively in the playoffs in the modern NBA, we don't really know the answer to that. I believe that Joel Embiid, maybe there's one guy in the East that I would look at who might be able to slow him down, and that's P.J. Tucker. Outside of that, I think he is going to just be absolutely dominant offensively, individually, in these playoffs. And I just don't know how to calibrate that. And so part of this ranking being this high is an acknowledgment that this may be breaking the mold. That this is something that we haven't seen since Shaq in, in the last 15 years. and that we have to be open to the possibility that that's just going to break shit and and that all these defenses that are so used to denying the three point line and oh we're going to switch and we're we're going to it's all about pick and roll defense and all that stuff. Oh fuck. We cannot handle this. Like that is something that I think is a possibility in, in these playoffs. And so part of that, there's just a lot of uncertainty here for me. And maybe he gets slowed down. Maybe he gets double T and he can't pass out of it. What if they miss threes? What if the spacing just isn't there with Simmons? What if defensively he gets beaten by say the nets or the bucks, just because there's so much three point shooting. Um, All of those things are possible. So, I mean, to me, he probably has the widest possible range on this list of how we will see him next year. And, And, for example, like last year, I think I had him 11th. And I had Jokic 12th uh, last year. And recall, obviously, this is before the bubble. We did this during the hiatus, right at the start of the hiatus. And Jokic was kind of, he was coming on for a couple of months, but he also had a really rough start to to last year. That was part of that ranking where he kind of ballooned up and and was not good uh, by his standards the first couple of months uh, of nineteen twenty so yeah that's the end of it and now you uh you tried to transition no I, i'm not ago, going to now transition I now I, I
2: just I, I thought of this point and i wrote i wrote it in my thing when when we said i'm so happy you kind of got to it which is we both have joel and beat seventh we have him in different tiers i am wholly convinced that he will not be seventh next year i don't know which way it's going to go but i don't think he's going to be seventh anymore and it is weird that again we're probably going to be making those determinations on a smaller sample just because the east the, the structure of the east there may be like one or two challenging series on the docket for the sixers depending on how far they make it and everything else and we'll learn something you know like if they're in the let's say they're in the 1-8 like we'll learn something in that series but we will learn a whole heck of a lot less than when they're playing one of the actual good teams in the conference and so but yeah. I, I
1: even going up against miami or boston in the playoffs yeah. if that's if they're one of those two teams comes out of the four or five i think
2: exactly it and could be and, very interesting with, as well and it's there there will also be echoes of what we learn about Embiid with future conversations regarding zion they're not the same player but the idea that they're unusual and they're unusual in ways and, and it's always something that we have trouble calibrating. Is basically just like, okay, will this work against the best teams? Because it doesn't happen very often that you get the opportunity to evaluate and a single regular season game or anything is is, is too noisy so you get too much into it. And so it'll be interesting. But so I, uh, it's interesting because like when we were kind of doing the precursor you talk, and, and you talked about in the intro of like, oh, you have a, a big group here. I actually, I have a, my tier, my tier three, so that includes Embiid and Doncic because I don't have them in the same tier as you. My tier three only goes down to ten so i mean there are lots of other players that we should discuss and you know obviously i have stuff on them and everything else but it was interesting to me when you were talking about and it is such a deep group of stars but in terms of drawing lines of separation that was where one of my lines was
1: well so i'd be interested to see who you left out of this top 11 because my next group from 9 to 11 is jokic at 9 lillard at 10 and james harden at 11 what yeah, so I should say I,
2: I have Harden 10. as a half-step at 11. So he's he is kind of... He's not in the same, but really, really close. Um, so I have Jokic at 9, Lillard at 10, and Harden at 11. And the reason why... We'll, we'll go to Harden first. I think it's a kind of an interesting conversation. It is crazy that he has... Like, for me, he has fallen from 5 to 11 without having done a whole lot wrong. Like, yeah, he... Behaved poorly in his exit from the Rockets, but like he has played well as a net. His playoffs weren't great, but they also weren't dramatically different than we expected. So it wasn't a circumstance where he defied it. But there are a couple different factors for me. One, Harden to me is hurt more, and maybe this is unfair, but he is hurt more than most of these guys by virtue of the exercise, which is it's a full season starting now. I trust his body less than almost everybody you know like i think that he's 31 a lot of these guys well you
1: you you trust it in terms of performance decline
2: athleticism but not necessarily
1: yeah as opposed to just like he's going to get hurt and not
2: play right right right. availability has often been a strength of his not always but often and but the other big part of it is we have built this evidence that Harden he has had great playoff moments he has had strong series but I'm more confident now than I have been that he just can't that he can't be that you know dominant singular offensive force and yes it's not always going to be Maury Ball it's not always yeah. going to be D'Antoni in the starting talent
1: because yeah. last year's playoffs well I think some of his individual numbers were pretty good and the Lakers were doubling to get the ball out of his hands uh but the, that was another, last year's playoffs was another indication that he wasn't going to be like well, an absolute transcendent guy in the playoffs. So it's, it's another chance that he had that failed.
2: Well, and the bigger does, one for so, me. So you
1: feel more certain about where he is. Now,
2: right. I and the say. bigger one for me actually is not, is not the series against the Lakers. It was the series against the Thunder, where that was a defensive, just rock fight against, yes, the Thunder had some specific things to make life hard, to make life difficult for James Harden. Sure. Lou Dort did a really nice job in that series and all that sort of stuff. But that was not like going up against a buzzsaw and just surviving. I I was actually less... I was less enthused. like the, the Rockets in that series had a, a an offensive rating o- under 100. Harden had his true individual true shooting was well, like he scored well, but the overall offense, from what I rec- from what I remember, wasn't great when he was on the floor. It did fall off a damn cliff when he wasn't on the floor. But it also like they the Thunder. They, it's not like they were this like team designed to beat James Harden or something. They they had good personnel, but not amazing personnel.
1: Well, and obviously the defensive concerns yes. are the other thing, and that's to me is what unifies, to some degree, I would say that my defensive concerns about Lillard are lower than Jokic or Harden, but... You just run into this issue when we're talking about a random team as well, where James Harden, you have to switch defensively. There's just no other way to do it. He can't get through a screen. Uh, Now he does hold up in the post. At least he allows you to maybe have a decent switching system, which, uh, but he's at a position where he's big enough. He also kind of needs to play the four defensively uh, at this point, uh, and... That just makes it more difficult for him to be the number one banana. I mean, he's moved into a new phase in his career now with the Nets, but he's not the best player on the Nets. I don't think anyone expects him to be the best player on the Nets. We've seen, again, his incredible floor raising that he's been able to do with this team, with Harden and Kyrie, or I'm sorry, with uh, Durant and Kyrie unavailable for large swaths of time. But there's just, there really, to me, is no reasonable argument anymore that James Harden is going to be your best player on a championship team. And honestly, I think that that's what separates out this tier and I'll include Jokic and Lillard in that as well that's what separates out this tier from the tiers above I could see if you put the uh, and Giannis is a little bit different and so is AD of being the best player where they don't necessarily fall into that category either but they also can just be so good as the second guy that they really boost your championship equity in a way that James Harden or Jokic or Lillard as the second guy doesn't particularly because of some of the defensive concerns that. That they have, but regardless, James Harden, you just he had his chances in Houston. Yeah, those rosters weren't unbelievable. Uh, also, his inability to get along with his co stars seems like kind of a problem. We'll see how that plays out in Brooklyn, where he went somewhere that he wanted to be as opposed to, uh, and he's had to fit in a little bit more versus him kind of being enabled a little bit more in Houston, but. Yeah, that's that's why I have him here. He's just he's a wonderful offensive player, still a top 5 offensive player in the regular season. The, the step back hasn't been working quite as well this year also, although he's had more space, he hasn't had to go to it as much. And I I credit him a ton for the ways he's been able to continue to evolve his game. He's not as reliant on the foul drawing as much anymore. He's able to drive more, the floater that he's worked out a bunch of people in Houston, you know, I I I love this culture where it's like, "Oh, hey, you really complimented a guy." And you get crapped on because, oh, you should have been complimenting him way earlier. But the fact is, this floater is totally different for him now in terms of the volume in Brooklyn and the lethality of it to where now you can't give that shot up anymore with him. And he's able to get into the lane. He's can either in pick and roll or beating his guy one-on-one, which he can do still to just about anyone due to his, just his crazy strength where he'll just kind of get the guy just a little bit on his shoulder and then just basically, like, blocking Sled the guy legally because he's not in front of him uh, all the way into the lane. Whereas in Houston, you know, if that was the shot that they were trying to give up to him with the jazz the warriors 2019 playoffs he shot 35 on floaters the spurs back in 2017 all, all these teams were trying to force him into floater range now you can't do that anymore so he deserves a ton of credit for continuing to evolve but the defensive concerns and the inability to elevate an offense in the playoffs kind of confirmed uh that he's got to be down here uh, anything to add on him or should we move on to jokic
2: well so the only thing i want to add is Harden, those limitations and thinking about him as a first or a second banana, I then got into a conversation, which I think might be where you ended up, of I'll, I'll just use the two guys that I think are the catalyst for this, which is Harden versus Paul George. So... Paul George, as your best offensive player, creates a bunch of challenges. Like, he, he's just, he's not, he's not that guy, you know, in a way that Anthony Davis also is not that guy. And Paul George's defensive acumen, his defensive value is lower than it was in his best years. Like, we've talked about a bunch of other guys on this list, including his current teammate Kawhi. But he is an unbelievable shooter. He doesn't need the ball in his hands as much as Harden does. And obviously, his defensive level is dramatically higher. So, like, the reason I ended up having Harden separate from Lillard and all that is, was I could make an argument argument for Lillard or Jokic over Paul George that I couldn't make with Harden personally
1: that's a, so, so now you're, you're saying why Harden is He's, closer to Paul George for you
2: yes so that's why I had I put Harden I, I referred to it as a half step so it's not like a full it, I didn't see it as like a full tier difference but once the once I feel differently about the same argument then to me that's where I should draw a line and so that's why I drew a line there like, for me, arguing, let's say, whether you would rather have Luka Doncic or Paul George for for a season plus a playoffs right now, like, I would I would definitely rather have Luka. And that that isn't to say Paul George is a bad player or anything like that. He's right firmly in this, like, also considered type of group. But because partially PG gets the, he gets some of the, like, supporting banana arguments that, that Harden doesn't. And that's not to say, like, offensively, Harden is unbelievable in that role. We're seeing it. I mean, we're seeing it less this year than we thought we would because the other dudes have been hurt and Harden has excelled in the role that he has been given, but especially because then it gets a lot harder to tolerate Harden's defensive foibles, if he's not elevating you in the way that he used to.
1: Yeah, George, to me, if he can carry over this level of production in the playoffs, then I think he's got the possibility to move up. But I think we have a pretty good idea of what Paul George is. And he fits in just about anywhere, but he has had some, uh, he was very good in the playoffs early in his career. But since 2016, he really uh, has disappointed. Quite a bit. You know, I think you, you wouldn't say that, that the playoffs argument goes for him any more than it does for him. and I also think Paul George has slipped defensively. He has. He's not He's not someone where I feel like, oh, you're going to put him on this guy and he's just going to lock down completely. I think he's a quality option there to be sure, but he's not, uh, I mean, just look at what Dame Miller did to him at the end of the 2019 playoffs, for example. I think he's slipped a little bit since then. Um, I can get into George a little bit, a little bit more later on. I I do have him into here below Harden, but I I really want to get into Jokic here. And I'll begin by saying, obviously, I believe Jokic is the best passing center of all time. I think he has a good argument for being the best offensive player in the NBA this regular season. I think he even has a decent argument for being the best offensive player in the playoffs. Although I do think there's been a little bit of revisionist history here. There's this idea that he like kicked Rudy Gobert ass last year and that really wasn't the case like if you go watch his post-ups against gobert he was not getting good looks and he did hit that huge one at the end of game seven with 30 seconds left very difficult shot i might add uh that that ended up being the difference in the game in the end but largely he had to default a lot to pick and popping and he shot amazingly well from three and then he's carried that over to this year at almost 42 percent from three which is huge that is not where he's been in his career and I know Adam will tell you that it's kind of it's kind of psychological with him and that when he needs to he'll break it out and he will hit more I I can't get on board with that this is a guy who's shot in the low 30s from three in seasons before so I think he's better certainly but an over 40 percent guy from three I'm not necessarily gonna buy that um now I think there are also very very few players who can slow him down in the post one-on-one maybe slightly fewer than him bead Uh, and I think Gobert is one of those players. Uh, but if if Jokic doesn't hit as many threes as he does in that series, then you're talking about how Gobert really had stopped him. And, and in a lot of those games, I, I thought he did. That that was an aside. Jokic, you could argue though, to me that in a lot of matchups he's right up there for the best offensive player in basketball. And that even includes potentially the playoffs. But this goes back to the what are you rather than how good are you? And I went back to the 80s. I could not find a team that had a center about where Nikola Jokic is defensively talking about where who he, he does not protect the rim annually one of the worst at his position at protecting the rim. The, the Nuggets don't protect the rim that well. Uh so you know I, I mean I think you can make an argument that he might be as high as like the 15th best defensive center in basketball, probably more in the 20s when you compare him to starting centers There is no team in any kind of recent NBA history, maybe ever in NBA history, frankly, that has had a center as bad as him defensively that has won a championship. And then you throw in that I think it's even more important now or or that that defense is probably even more damaging now than it would have been 20 years ago and maybe you could say Shaq but Shaq at least was a monster protecting the rim in a way that Jokic like he was still a deterrent there yeah he sucked at pick roll defense that wasn't as important back then but then you throw in if you look at the championship teams well, and, and also, really also teams, worth noting
2: yeah. like Shaq's defensive intensity was very different in the regular season than the playoffs and so like he, let's say he was the 15th best or 20th best defensive center in the regular season he was better than that in the playoffs
1: yeah and you know he had a, a good defensive regular season the year he won MVP the rest of the time it, it wasn't so good but and then you throw in that it's not only about how good the defensive center is but then also your ability to have the scheme versatility i know we keep saying that word but scheme versatility defensively where not only do you have a a good defensive center, but you have a a center, you have Draymond Green, you have Bam Adebayo, you have even someone like Tristan Thompson was able to do some other stuff against the Warriors, even though he wasn't a great rim protector. You have Clint Capella or PJ Tucker, another team that could have won a championship in Houston. You have Anthony Davis, the last team that was really a viable championship contender i would say or, or that did win a championship even with like a not much scheme versatility was the 14 spurs and oh yeah you just had one of the greatest defensive players of all time manning the mill and then you also had all-time great level of wing defensive play there as well and that was still a different type of nba to some degree when when you really get into the the highest levels that was 2014 spurs the 2013 miami obviously they had just a, a ton of athletes flying around a ton of scheme versatility then maybe you'd probably have to go back to dallas in 2011 again had a defensive player of the year type of center playing that more conventional system i'm not even sure if you could get by with dirk in today's nba and win a championship with him even if you had another center with him that might not even be possible anymore today but all those things make me think that it's just I'm not I will I'll never say that something is impossible but extremely 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 difficult by every single thing that we've seen over the last 40 years and certainly over the last 10 years to win a championship with that kind of defensive center no matter how good he is offensively and some people said oh well look at what th- they've uh, performed well defensively in the playoffs like uh yeah a- against the clippers they were uh, above average
2: they didn't against the jazz <laughs>
1: No, they didn't. Do and you know? It was do Gary you, I, I pulled this? To come back in and save him. You, like he was, Jokic was getting called out on national TV for how bad his defense was, and obviously also on this program as well. He was the biggest reason he and Porter Jr., who was, was no great shakes either, for why they just had some of the worst defensive playoff games that I've ever seen against the Jazz early in that
2: series. I mean, so overall, and remember they, the partially with Gary Harrison, and Jokic played better, too much to his credit. The final game in that series was eighty to seventy-eight. And Utah's offensive rating for the whole series was still over 123, and Jokic wasn't on the floor for all that. But remember, his backup was Mason Plumlee, and Plumlee was a better defensive center than Jokic overall.
1: Uh, well, I actually, I actually disagree with you on that, but yeah. uh, but <laughs> I, I did, Mike Mike Malone agrees with you though.
2: He does. Um, and so, I mean, you, and with Jokic, you have those like, oh, they had, and, and he did have some better defensive series. I mean, things things went better from a team perspective and an individual perspective from that midpoint on. But a, it all counts, and b, Jokic's limitations. Are pretty pretty established. So the one one of the ones that I pulled was: um, fifteen players this season have contested six or more shots at the rim per game. Most of them, the opponent like the defended field goal percentage is fifty three percent or worse. Not everybody, uh, and a few are way higher. Um, Towns and the aforementioned Mason Plumlee allow about sixty percent at the rim. Vooch. 64 Jokic 67 last year that Jokic gave up 65% shooting at the rim. That was the worst of anybody who contested six or more at the rim. And Kevin Love was the only guy who contested five or more who was worse. And that's Kevin freaking love who isn't a good defender at all. And yes, it's true that there are more things to being a good center defender than protecting the rim. But Jokic isn't particularly good at those other things either other than defensive rebounding where he is good. And I guess you could say he's good at not fouling, but I would argue that's a little bit more complicated to get into as a as an overall virtue when you think about what else that leads to
1: right and so that leads to either you you have to do one of two things right right i mean forget about switching you can't do that that's probably that still is probably the best thing that you can do as a defense if you really want to get to the highest holes so forget about switching you got to either get him way out on the floor and pick and roll which is going to lead to a four on three basically anytime you want it or you got to really pull in a ton of help at the nail to prevent pick and roll ball handlers from getting all the way to the rim to begin with. And then great playoff offenses you're just going to be giving up wide open threes one or two passes away if you're just pulling that level of help uh, towards the nail to protect him and so you're just what you can do defensively is just so limited and would say well you know he's so much better now or or, uh, some of the advanced stats have liked him well i don't know where the indication is that he's so much better now like actually advanced stats are much worse this year than they have been in the past the on off is worse this year in terms of the regular season and again we're not saying that he's like just an awful defender like he does do some things while well. he can play the cat and mouse game like a little bit he's got good hands it, when he's locked in he can position himself reasonably well the defensive glass as you mentioned but we're not talking about being an okay def- you can get by with him in the regular season nobody's saying that you can't get by with him in the regular season i, I think it's kind of similar conversation what we had about Sabonis defensively last year where and I think Jokic is better than Sabonis defensively to be clear but he when you're talking about probably a even a slightly below average defensive center most teams in the playoffs who have that sort of player he's not even gonna close games for you right obviously you don't have that option with Jokic you need him out there and so your defense can only get so good and maybe there's a possibility that teams would go cold from three against them maybe there's a possibility that his offense would be so unbelievably good that They'll just outscore teams, and it doesn't matter how many open threes they give up or or shots at the rim they give up. They'll just outscore them on the other end, and that's not completely insane. That's kind of the theory of the Brooklyn Nets this year, but I still think the Brooklyn Nets with the guys that they have have more offensive upside than what say a team a a random team that the nuggets would put out there well
2: and it's also kind of in a way you could say it's proof of concept that that's how extreme you have to go for to potentially be viable and we don't even know if it's going to be i mean they haven't really they they haven't done it yet i mean we both we both are optimistic about their about brooklyn's chances
1: and I, i mean what are they they're they've done better now to get up to the number 15 defense this year but they're not they're just not a top 10 defensive group with them they haven't been if they were it's because you had a guy like Paul Millsap who's that now is going to constrain your offense a little bit next to him so that again we've spent far more time talking about Jokic's flaws but I, and the reason for that is because people would be like, "Hey, this guy is the MVP." I might even vote for him for for MVP in our fake vote. However, we're talking about the playoffs, the championship equity, and if there is a player to get you into the playoffs or even maybe to get you to the second round if that was the criteria he would be higher on this list probably and also never gets hurt he deserves a ton of credit for that he can play a ton of minutes ton of minutes in the playoffs uh, all doesn't really seem to ever get tired amazingly Uh, all of that is great feathers in his cap but yeah it's just because of what he is not how good he is that he has to be lower on this list for me
2: but it's worth taking a little bit of stock of how special Jokic is as an offensive player I mean I've used the I call it the him him alone test for years which is basically can if if you put this player with co- reasonably competent surrounding talent like will you have how good of an offense will you have and the answer right now with Jokic is damn good like and yes the Nuggets have at many moments in time had better than expected talent around him but Jokic also makes life so much easier for limited players which is a hallmark of these really high value offensive players LeBron James Stephen Curry Damian Lillard at moments in time and Jokic is no exception in fact I think infer- he 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 firms up that concept. He's an unbelievable passer. He is dangerous against basically any type of opposition, meaning like if you try to put a smaller dude on him, he's putting that dude he he will create a bunch of different types of advantages. If you send too many guys at him, he can pass out of it better than almost anybody. He doesn't he he can space the floor well enough now that he that you know you have to you have to pay attention to him if you're gonna try to gum up other things, probably not gonna do that. So he's not, you know, like he's not a, a you know a perfect offensive player because no one is and you know like but he is he is his own version of unguardable and he is his own system which are the, kind of like the two the two tent poles for me of those like singularly dominant offensive players
1: and I am very sad that Jamal Murray got hurt and Ugh. we're not going to get and Jokic is not going to get the chance this year to prove me wrong and potentially make a deep playoff run Damian Lillard at number 10 A little bit more of a defensive liability than Steph Curry. I'm sure some people are like, hey, he's kind of been the same as Steph Curry this year. Why is it that Steph Curry is number three for you and five for you, or number three for me and five for you, and Damian Lillard is 10? And Anthony Slater wrote about this, I thought, very cogently last year during the playoffs when the Lakers pretty much shut Lillard down, that you can get the ball out of his hands and there just aren't a lot of other tricks left there. He doesn't, when he drives to the basket and kicks the ball out, he doesn't actually run to the corner and replace and make himself a threat again. It's He's... I don't want to say he's a one-trick pony because he has made himself into just an incredible player out of pick and roll, and he can drive, he can go around guys, he can set up the roll man, you know, he can do all the things that you need to out of pick and roll, but he can't do anything other than pick and roll, and that that just makes him a little bit easier to stop, and he's had some incredible moments in the playoffs, but he's also had some pretty severe duds, and you might say that a little bit about Steph Curry as well, but generally his teams have done very well on offense even when he himself hasn't had the greatest series and also Steph Curry really when he hasn't produced as much in the playoffs it was the two years that he basically got injured during the playoffs and came back and still was able to be relatively effective uh that was 2016 and 2018 but just wasn't quite at the same level as he has been when he's been healthy in the playoffs and so uh I think Steph Curry is just as good as he was in 2019, and I think you saw Lillard is better probably than he was then, but you've also just seen him run out of gas in a lot of series, the Nuggets in 2019, the Lakers in 2020, and he also just, his impact seems to be a little bit less consistent from game to game at times. So that that's why I have him a little bit lower here, and I think he's also worse defensively well, and than I, I, Steph is. I want
2: to throw one other important point out there. And while Lillard deserves immense credit for his improvement as a finisher around the basket, he isn't the level of two point fin- like two point finisher that Steph Curry is. So, like for example, this year, part of why like Curry's true shooting is at sixty six percent and Damian Lillard's is at sixty one, when Lillard is taking more threes. Actually sorry, he he's not taking more 3s per minute. It's, it's some of the other stuff. Um it's because Curry's shooting 58% on 2s and Lillard shooting 51. 51 is not bad for a player who does what Lillard does, but he's his career high there, 52%. Lillard is getting to the line more, which is very nice, but he beyond like the system stuff and everything else, he's just he's a slightly less efficient player in even the individual scoring aspects than Steph Curry is.
1: Yeah, I think that's that's fair. Um, You know, Dame definitely is capable of just having some of the more ridiculous stretches, but he's also, if you just look at his game log for the last month, for example, he just has games where he kind of, he'll go for three for 11 sometimes. And part of that is because I think he had to give so much effort when CJ and Nurkic were out and they were trying to reintegrate Norman Powell. So there are extenuating circumstances there, but it just seems like he's not as consistent as some of these other guys. Portland annually has one of the best offenses he's a big part of it, to be sure. The biggest part, I should say. But, and the other thing too is, it's, man, if you're not Stephen Curry, if you're not one of the greatest players of all time, it is so hard to lead a team to a championship when you're under 6'5". It just is. I mean, there's nobody else who's really done it. Isaiah Thomas is the only one. Isaiah Thomas and Steph are basically the only ones who have done that. And Isaiah Thomas was part of a very unique ensemble cast that did it more with defense defense. Uh, then basically any other team has done um let's move into this next group now we're going beyond the top 10 because there are just so many awesome players right now and I think one thing that's really nice Danny is other than Jamal Murray everyone in the top 20 at least has a good chance of going into the playoffs healthy whereas last year you know KD and Steph were basically out the whole year so that's really exciting and part of you know I like you said with Harden to go from 5 to 11 for him part of it's the age but a lot of it is just everyone one else is playing so i mean so jimmy butler is my number 13 paul george is my number 12 i have those two guys together before we get down into another group that i think of as kind of more of the third team all nba type of group but i mean jimmy butler if you look at what he did in the playoffs last year and what he's done this year for the heat there's it's crazy to me that he would only be at 13 but i just couldn't put him higher than that i just think these other these other guys are better but it's he's been remarkable paul george has been remarkable to say that those guys with the great seasons that they're having this year are 12 and 13 for me that's just a testament to how awesome the league is right now with the best players
2: yeah i I think that's a fair way of doing of of putting it and i like building other guys up rather than lowering those guys down and with with butler i mean think about how great he was how pivotal he was during that playoff run for miami on both ends of the floor i'm more than a little spooked by the three-point shooting at this at this juncture i mean last year 24 percent on two threes per 36 and i'm like oh god what if that shoot like what if that's just who he is and i'm like no no come on he's been you know like pretty he's been pretty i mean been much better than that on the bulls and everything else this year 24% on 2.1 threes per 36 minutes yeah. so like
1: although he somehow always seems to make just enough in the playoffs
2: true and um Butler does so many other things well and also does so few other things poorly other than those those deep shots he's also still making his free throws and getting to the free throw line an ungodly amount so he, you could see those spillover effects like don't aren't aren't really there like they sometimes are for other guys and Butler's a very valuable Defender he can keep the ball moving but That ensemble cast for Miami, I mean, partially, like, I mean, another big part of it, like, yes, Jimmy was amazing, but Goran Dragic being so much better than he has been basically at any other point over the last couple years, Bam taking a real step forward, and I think that giving, I, I give Jimmy a lot of credit for that. But also, I give everybody else a lot of credit for that, and they also had a, you know, I mean, they beat the they beat the Bucks, and, and they were beating them before Giannis got hurt, beat them more easily after Giannis got hurt. Um, but it, I don't think they, I, it wasn't, the, it wasn't there was there wasn't really a, a team that really posed the same type of problems for Jimmy as as there could theoretically be if you reshuffle the deck. And you know, it's putting him on any other team, and Jimmy's specific strengths and weaknesses make him sometimes a more challenging fit.
1: I'm in agreement with all that, and and uh, hilariously, so last year I had Butler a little bit below this. I, I had him kind of in the... Because I wasn't buying it as much with him. I saw the lack of three-point shooting. I was like, can this guy really score on the best defenders in isolation? It seemed like he was kind of doing it by just throwing his body into people and getting calls. And he didn't want to finish at the rim anymore. His finishing at the rim actually has been much better this year. And he's been able to hit a mid-ranger a little bit better. The other thing was he wasn't even taking any kind of mid-range jumpers last year. I think for him that might be a little bit more... Important, but and to to see that the way that he gets it done, it just doesn't look the way it looks for other guys who are really that dominant at times. But the proof is in the pudding, and both in the impact metrics year after year after year, and in what happened in the playoffs last year, even in 2019, he had a pretty good playoffs. Was coming back from injury in 2018, it so uh, give him a pass uh, on that year. It's It just works for him, and you just have to accept the fact that it works, even if it's offensively he just doesn't seem like the type of guy who fills the mold of what we think about as the 13th best player in the NBA when you watch him, and then you realize, all right, he got fouled a bunch of times, and they were really good when he was on the floor. They sucked when he was off the floor again and again. It just keeps happening, and so you eventually have to acknowledge that. Now, do I think that Jimmy Butler is... Your best player on a championship team? No, I don't think that's the case. I think last year was a little bit of an aberration, and you could say, yeah, maybe things would have gone a little bit differently a, a year ago, and they could have won it. He got to the finals. He was good in the finals. He played well enough in the finals if they hadn't been hurt from the win. That could have actually had been a seven game series if it, everyone had stayed healthy. People forget now that Bam Adebayo and Goran Dragic basically were done after the beginning of the series, though they did get blown out in game one. I still i'm going with george at 12 and butler at 13 again i mentioned that was my tier five just those two guys i think they are they are more established and also just play more valuable positions than the guys we're going to talk about below them but george just fits in on so many other teams that's which i think you've gotten to earlier the idea that butler with the lack of three-point shooting you know if you threw butler on like this year's lakers it's all right where, where does he stand <laughs> you know like there, there are a number of teams like that where it would just if he's he's not your primary offensive player and I still don't think that as the primary perimeter offensive player he's good enough to get you to where you need to be at the absolute highest levels in the vast majority of seasons even though last year kind of came close to proving me wrong I do discount last year's playoffs a little bit but yeah the the fit of George to me when you consider the role that you would ideally want them playing on a team that's going to win a championship is just better than it is with Butler so that's why I george slightly higher than butler but those guys have been linked for a long time including both getting traded in the 2017 offseason and both uh not being traded to the celtics in the 2017 (laughs) offseason and and so they're they're uh, linked together again uh, for me here in this tier
2: yeah so that's basically where i kind of i stopped focusing though of course we can talk about a lot more guys and so you said the next group is kind of like all nba so maybe more in the like go bear range
1: yeah, kind of in contention for for uh, third-team All-NBA. I, I would say that in a typical year, you would have the rest of the guys that we've talked about above this are all, you, you're thinking about them more as second-team All-NBA type of players. And I didn't do a formal ranking in this group, but towards the top of it, I would have Zion Williamson. He would probably be the, the at the top of this group for me, and part of that is forward-looking. You run into some of the same problems, as you alluded to, with Zion, where you just we don't really have a stress test for how valuable what he does is at the highest levels, but sure as hell looks valuable in the regular season so far.
2: And when you consider how young Zion is, and I mean how how mu- how much he's grown in skill level and role this year, that remember we're starting another season. He knows what he what he's already what he's already done and can work from that, and it's it's exciting. And also with Zion because not with spacing reasons and all that, but being a little bit smaller in stature in a weird way probably helps him compared to like Jokic, where yes, Zion is limited defensively. Yeah. They're not the same type of guy because you probably want that big guy to be able to space the floor for a couple of different reasons. But you can play Zion next to somebody else in a way that I think is more, from a general manager standpoint, is a little bit more viable than with Jokic. I'm not saying they're the same level of players or anything like that, but when you're theoretically building a championship team involving like a let's say a very good or better defense my instinct is that's easier to do around Zion than it is around Jokic
1: Yeah, although it, I'm not, I'm open to the possibility that unless he gets significantly better, that it'll be impossible. Yep, he's gotten a little bit better as a switch guy this year, but he's still, and maybe all what he did at Duke, when he, frankly, he still was much more athletic at Duke than he is even now. Despite the fact that he looks so much better this year, he still is not at the level that he was at Duke as an athlete. But yeah, and he's got some of the same kind of Harden-esque problems as well with him as a power forward. It's still tough when your power forward is bad defensively, which is what he is, and I don't know what the ceiling is on that so but yeah Jokic he's he's really cursed by being a center if you're just the 20th best two guard in basketball defensively that doesn't kill you the way it does being the 20th best center does so like if you put if you put Jokic's offensive package in the two guard then he would fly up these rankings probably
2: he'd probably be a worse me, passer but, but anyway well, we'll
1: yeah let's... that's true yeah he wouldn't be part of it too part of his offensive value is his value of a replacement at center where which is the worst offensive position position and you're right yeah having the height that he has um you know but but let's say let's say even he was just as tall as he is but he could just play the two defensively somehow he was just like skinny and like could move a little bit uh, but didn't protect the room whatever hey we're, we're going down the wrong path here so zion i'm not sure how you deal with him. and if you just look with a pretty shitty pelicans supporting offensive cast what they've done since they moved to point zion I think you're going to be very hard-pressed to guard him there's maybe five players in the league you could look at where you'd feel okay with them guarding him one-on-one they're not a ton of those and he's just so fast I don't think you can really guard him with a bigger player anymore it's a it's a major problem I also have Rudy Gobert in this group probably towards the top of it I would say and he was lower for me last year in part because the Jazz defense slipped some but now this year it's right back to being where hey with with this pretty crappy defense Defensive supporting cast. They are essentially the number one defense whenever he's on the floor, and that's that is just incredibly meaningful. And I thought, honestly, I thought he had a wonderful defensive playoffs last year, much better than he was in the regular season. Yeah, they lost in the end, but he came. He did a very, very good job on Nikola Jokic last year. So I I'm I think, and if you just look at the statistical impact year after year after year, I have the same concerns about Gobert as I do Embiid at the absolute highest levels defensively and whether that impact can translate. I have fewer about him than Embiid because I think he is more mobile and more intense and has more versatility and can do more switching. Not that he's unbelievable at it like Draymond Green or something, but he's above average for that as a center, I would say. So I think once you get down to this type of a level, I think you can start to emphasize regular season a little bit more and Gobert, when you look at the impact metrics year over year over year, that argument is stronger for him than anyone else around this group to me.
2: Well, and being the clearest example and arguably the only clear one of the defensive version of the him alone test that if you, like the Jazz in some ways are doing this right now where he is their best defender their entire scheme is based on what Gobert can do well and they are dominating defensively overall this season is insanely impressive
1: so where do you want Who to Who else did you want to talk about? Yeah, that, that's right here in this group. I,
2: I don't have as as many players. I, I, I mean. I hope that Trey Young, like if we get a real playoffs from him, that he can work. Like if we're talking about kind of the the next the next tier, I mean, Zion is above him, but like of the next most valuable offensive players in the league, I think that list starts with Trey Young. And we need to see it in a different sample. We need to see it in, you know, with everything else. And this, this Hawks season has been a success story so far, and it will be compared to expectations probably no matter where things go. And it is a little bit weird to me that in certain circles, Trey is not getting as much of that credit, which is bizarre because he is their best offensive player and is is a big part of all the things they're doing. Capella obviously deserves a lot of defensive credit. But I first of all, the defensive issues are really big and the idea that we don't know exactly how it's going to translate. And the the weirdest part of the Trey Young story is that he has grown as an overall offensive force, primarily by just getting to the free throw line an ungodly amount. And generally speaking, like he's, you know, Trey's shooting 56 or 36% from three this year. Same thing he shot last year, actually lower volume passing the ball well, everything else. But generally speaking, that is an element of offense that we think declines in in the playoff crucible with the way that things are officiated, but also having significantly better, consistently better opposing defensive talent. Like, you know, there, there, there are fewer teams that he can absolutely just like ransack the way that he can in the regular season. So Trey can get there. You know, he's 22. I think that there's a possibility, but I'm less, you know, like... I didn't seriously consider him for the top ten because he hasn't he hasn't proven it in, a, in like let's say the way that Harden has, even if Harden's playoff resume isn't amazing.
1: Trey, to me, is criminally underrated as an offensive player. But I think he is... A, we haven't seen it in the playoffs. We will this year, finally. But I think he's going to really struggle in the playoffs. You mentioned the reliance on foul drawing. His passing is very underrated. But both because he can get attacked defensively, he's clearly the worst defender of anyone that we're going to be talking about here by quite a bit. And then, he really hasn't been able to beat guys one-on-one off the dribble when the teams switch. I think part of that, because he's had all these niggling lower body injuries the the last couple of months when I've seen him so maybe I'll give him a little bit of a pass on that but I do think the bullshit foul drawing is not going to work as well in the playoffs also worth noting too that the league is probably going to change the rule on these unnatural shooting motion fouls according to some reporting which I I think could hurt him he's going to need to find some other tricks the the way Harden has been able to so uh, yeah as a regular season player the fact that he wasn't an all-star this year was ridiculous and people just maybe because Lloyd Pierce got fired or maybe because of the foul drawing or he just doesn't look like he'd be that good or whatever he is so massively underrated in terms of what he is as a regular season offensive player but i have there are many intellectual reasons to believe that he's not going to do it in the playoffs so he's a little bit lower in this group to me Kyrie Irving would probably be the next guy to talk about and the The isolation scoring still is pretty resilient in the playoffs. Certainly as a first banana, you are not going to be satisfied with him and all the stuff with missing time. And there clearly seems to be some level of, shall we say, undependability about him. And no one really knows how severe that is. And that said, the stats are awesome this year. The on-off stuff offensively is really good. And as someone where you're not relying on him to create offense for others all the time, but he can be a devastating force on his own i think you have to put him up here in this group when he's been healthy this year he's been as good as he, as ever
2: and we know how Kyrie's game can translate to the playoffs he can get his shot off against quality opposition it has happened many times and there aren't higher profile moments for it to happen than what Kyrie irving has done so he does like it is interesting to think about him in the concept of like being a second banana a because that's how we won a championship and because how he's playing right now I mean the the hierarchy in Brooklyn is is complicated but he's not number one for sure um I was I'm assuming that the two guards of Devin Booker and Mitchell and to maybe some extent Bradley Beal are kind of in this area as well
1: Mitchell is lower to me uh, than both Beal and Booker part of that is just due to size I I think that Mitchell he really is probably going to play two guard for most teams he's shown a little bit more ability to play some point guard and maybe on on more teams he would be a point guard but when he's playing the two he probably is best playing next to another point guard like mike conley and now you got two six one guards and i think that is that makes it really difficult with he has not been able to develop as a defender the way i had hoped that he would maybe that could still happen at some point but for example he couldn't put out the jamal murray fire he got roasted last year trying to do that for example and they really the way a team around him has to be built maybe you do that with a larger point guard who can defend Twos, you know if you can obviously jason kidd is you're not going to find that these days but someone along those lines tyrese halliburton or something that sort of a player could work well with him uh, on a different team perhaps but he, he does raise some team building issues i don't think that he's as good of a creator for himself or others as booker Beal to me and Booker and Beal to me just have a little bit more resilient of scoring I have Booker above both Beal and Mitchell and this was obviously presaged by our rankings of the shooting guards or at least mine. And 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 to be clear, I would have Trey below all of these players we're talking about, except for Donovan Mitchell. I might even have him below Mitchell just because Trey Trey may not be resilient in the playoffs. But Mitchell, to me, has only really had one great playoff series, and that was against a Denver team that was a complete joke that wasn't a playoff defense for the vast majority of that series. And he just doesn't have, other than the -the off-the-bounce threes, shown a little bit more ability to create separation and get to that. But I don't think of him as a big finisher at the rim necessarily and he just doesn't have the size like he's so reliant on shaking his guy and if he can't do that or if he has a larger defender on him in isolation i think it's going to be a struggle for him so i i have him probably more in the 20s than in this type of range though the uh the high teens which we're talking about so booker beal and then i'd say chris paul is sure. right there for yeah. me too love chris Paul. I, i'm sure he is for you too oh of course you're, you're probably the bigger chris <laughs> paul stand at this point
2: I, I i am at this point and at all previous points
1: and then the other two that i struggled with maybe putting into this group. i guess there's three that i thought maybe you could put it make an argument for them being in this tier and then i would put a, a line below them and again I, as i said mitchell would not be a group for me jason tatum Jalen Brown and Bam Adebayo are are the other three that I think – I don't like any of those guys obviously as a number one in the regular season you might say that they're not as valuable as these creator guys like Beal or Booker because those guys are number one level of guys in the regular season they can you can get a good offense around those guys in the regular season but I think just those guys all have pretty low numbers of weaknesses and can fit in on a ton of teams and I think those guys have more championship equity due to the positions that they play and just the the value that they provide Again, going back to what they are in some ways more than how good they are at what they do.
2: And specifically, something that I value about all three of those guys is how well they could fit with a lot of other different star players. So you've talked about how they're better as twos than ones. If you pair Brown, Tatum, or Bam with a high-end point guard, sure, absolutely like you can make it you can make it work you can fit it in um offensively jalen and tatum both wonderful secondary creators i think that actually helps both of them out a lot just because you might lighten their workload put them in more positions to succeed take away some of their toughest shots pair any of them other than bam notably with a a strong defensive center you're going to have a, a wonderful defensive foundation brown and tatum succeed in different ways but both of them mesh very well you can do different kind of systems offensively defensively. But what I think is really interesting about this, and maybe this is a transition into another topic that I just briefly we've gone on so long, but I think it's worth going into is maybe it is me underselling and Bam might be a little bit different here. We've gotten to this a little bit in the center rankings a little bit ago, but thinking about, you know, who's in that 10 to 20 range is a little bit different from asking who is most likely who is not in the top 10 to be in the top 10 next year when we do this again.
1: Yeah, that's that. That's an interesting distinction there. Um,
2: and I have one answer. Well,
1: well, well, let's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who is your answer? Zion Williamson. Yeah, that's an interesting one.
2: I mean, um, is the, is there a possibility that yeah. he is the most valuable or close to the most valuable offensive player in the 21-22 regular season? Yes, absolutely. There is a chance. I I, I can't I can't write that off. I, it is impossible for me to do so. No, and I think another one too would be
1: Rudy Gobert. If the Jazz win the championship this year and they're able to shut down some of these teams and they do that because of Rudy Gobert, Rudy Gobert I mean, it would be undeniable. I think you would have to get him into the top 10. Absolutely. Next year. Now, they might just do it more with the offense, in which case maybe you feel, you'd feel you feel differently about it. and. Booker certainly is could be poised to have a monster playoffs this year, uh, but I want to talk before we kind of do the risers and fallers and all that. Just a, a few other names that, in this group and maybe why I have some kind of in this tier and and some that I don't. So to to be clear, here's who I had. Bam, I struggled. I think I put him just one tier lower in part due to the lack of regular season impact. So Zion, Rudy Gobert, Irving, Devin Booker, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Bradley Beal, Chris Paul, that's my 14 to 21. And then I think I would make another delineation below there, which gets you Trey Young, out Karl Carl Anthony Towns, Donovan Mitchell, Jamal Murray would be in there. We're assuming that he's back from the ACL in this. And that's probably the end of that group. Then you're going down to like Chris Middleton, Drew Holiday, John Morant, Shea Gilgis Alexander, Ben Simmons. Shea's another guy who could really rise next year, I would say. Um, yeah, that's it. So any reaction to that before we kind of get into the the wrap up?
2: Yeah, I'm largely on board. I would say I would are, say. Are you
1: also on board with wrapping this up?
2: Yes. Um. I, I would say like I think Chris Middleton deserved a mention in there. You're a little lower on him than I am, but just I mean he's been a very good like fringe All NBA guy the last two years.
1: Yeah, he's fallen off a little bit this year. If he were still at that mid 60s true shooting where he was earlier this season, and it seemed clear, oh, he's taken even another step forward the, from last year, then then I I probably would uh, be more open to those arguments. Okay, so uh, biggest fallers from last year.
2: I mean, Giannis went for me from number two and in tier one to number five and in tier two, despite winning the MVP that year and being in the conversation, but we saw the limitations in the playoffs and the idea that it is more possible that he is just this guy and still a an unbelievably good player still the centerpiece the tentpole of the milwaukee bucks moving forward but not only is i don't think that might be i'm not sure it's the largest numerical fall but it is the to me the most significant one both in terms of falling from tier one and also in terms of the significance for the league
1: yeah i had him number three overall last year but still in tier one with Kawhi and lebron and so yeah now i have him firmly in tier two as a result of the playoffs i i expected that the bucks were going to win the championship last year although i wouldn't have picked them against the clippers and it it, just the back-to-back playoff disappointments just a little bit too much and there's there's hope that he could move up he certainly has some of the most possible upward mobility here this playoffs is going to be very very telling in that because there are a lot of guys who are around the same type of level another one who wasn't in my top 10 but was in my top 20 was pascal siakam he has had a massive disappointment over the last year or so since we last did this and I, i thought man this guy is had a a meteoric rise he did nothing but improve i was kind of pricing that in a little bit the raptors were awesome last year and and i thought he could be one of these really good two-way stars and it just has not developed for him and maybe i was overrating him based on what ended up being a pretty hot few months at the start of last year but that, that fall that star has really fallen he's not even in any kind of consideration for the top 30 right now
2: Harden's fall is significant as well. I had him fifth and in kind of tier three. I called it the offensive linchpins last year with Steph and Luca and Lillard. And first of all, all but Steph of those group has fallen just as other guys have kind of risen to meet them. But also, I, I just have a little bit, you know, last year, last year's playoffs and everything else gave me a little less trust in Harden being the best player on a championship team. And continuing to be concerned about his age, even though he has played extremely well this year.
1: Yeah, and honestly, uh, Harden was five for me last year. I'd Steph four, Harden five, Doncic six in my tier two, kind of grouping those great offensive players who don't give you a ton defensively together. And I don't know that Harden even has done anything to deserve to fall that much, other than just having one more playoff flame out. But Davis has been way better this year. Kevin Durant now... I had him at nine last year. He's exceeded expectations in the Achilles return. Joel Embiid and Nicole Jokic. Have just been unbelievable so far this year, and Jokic's playoffs last year as well. So I don't even know that I think of Harden as being even that much worse. It's just the competition. He's kind of treaded water and maybe dropped slightly in terms of his performance, and those guys have gone up. And Luca was six last year. I mean, he to me, he's a better player this year as as we in ways that we talked about than he was last year, and he has a good playoff performance under his belt. And poor Luca went down from six to eight again. This isn't say. There's nothing that he is doing wrong here. Damian Lillard, if anything, has played better over the last year when you look at the bubble and and some of the things he's done in this regular season, and he's gone from eight to ten. It's all just that these other guys have had even more rises. And again, for those who are like, man, like, how could you rank a bead this lower, Jokic this low? It's like it's fucking unbelievable competition. I mean, it really is. Like, you, you're you've got eleven guys who, to me, are capable of playing and, and winning an MVP in a given season like when have we ever been able to say that before
2: and encouragingly even though some of these guys are let's say post-prime a lot of them are lightly post-prime so hopefully you know Steph and Harden and LeBron can and Durant can can kind of stay at these levels but who knows maybe maybe it ends up being we get another year where those guys haven't haven't aged out and the young guys keep rising and maybe we'll see more of this trend I would love to see that happen as opposed to the alternative
1: yeah and even even some of the uh, in in the 10 to 20 range Kyrie Irving is playing better again this year Rudy Gobert has played better this year Zion has had a meteoric rise Devin Booker is on a, a winning team for I mean the first even time. even
2: Chris Paul like Chris Paul sure. had a had a wonderful t- 1920 season did basically what you would have asked of him in the playoffs and then has been an instrumental part of of one of the league's strongest success stories but there's just there's just so much talent here
1: yeah and, and you just you have to ultimately note that m- maybe our conception of some of these guys, there we're in an off a rising offense era. Part of part of maybe why we feel like all these guys are getting better is just there's a rising tide that's lifting all boats to some degree. But also, we've we haven't seen it other than I mentioned, other than Murray, who I have you know in the 22 to 26 range. Everyone else is doesn't it isn't dealing with a long term injury right now. Um, other fallers. Carl Anthony Towns I had at number 13 last year and he was playing at a fringe MVP level early when the the Wolves were playing 500 ball last year and then he got hurt and obviously he's just had a nightmare year for many reasons beyond what he's dealt with uh, on the court so he's now kind of down in in the mid-20s for me Uh, and again the competition is going to be massive to get back up there. Uh, Russell Westbrook. I was still talking about him as being in the 10 to 20 range. I thought he was a legitimate all NBA candidate last year. You thought that maybe he had this bad start to last year and then he just started going, averaging the best efficiency of his, of his career, 30 points a game. But then the bubble happened. Yes, partially due to injury. And now this year with the wizards, obviously he's arguably been a negative player for them. So he's just not even in any kind of even all-star consideration. So that's, that's a pretty meteoric fall. And I, I, I discounted, his bad start to the season with Houston last year just due to the fit and uh, coming off a knee surgery but now it seems clear that the outlier was what he did during that two month stretch when they went super small Uh, and he's just probably not going to ever be an all-star consideration again sadly. Kemba Walker really fallen off as well that's kind of a sad one he's someone who would have been in the late teens early 20s for me a year ago and clay thompson i thought he was probably going to come back and still maybe the best most easily fitting most scalable player in nba history and so you give some credit to that but missing two straight years you just can't put him in this in this conversation again right now which is a bummer
2: it really is in terms of risers i mean the most prominent for me is lebron james i i will i i know why i did it but i regret having him in tier two last yeah. year even if i'd had him as a number three which i, I would have but to, to do that he outperformed those expectations so thrilled that he did that is an important rise um ad ad going from going from i had him alone as number eight in tier four by himself to tier six and in tier two that is our to number six in tier two that is a really important rise durant is different because like basically it was just we weren't sure what he was going to be and so it, he is the biggest riser numerically and that is important important, but also like if he had never gotten hurt, he would have he would have been in this area to begin with. So it is the biggest rise and I'm so so damn happy that it's happened. But I think of it as fundamentally different than like what Anthony Davis did and what Joel Embiid has done.
1: Yeah. uh, Although I might argue that it's potentially more improbable given the incredible injury that he suffered at a point when you don't necessarily expect to be able to get back to the same type of level. And I mean, to be doing this at 32 as well, even just the normal, if you like, he's right where you would have expected if he never had the injury.
2: You you and I are Durant, we're Durant optimists when, you know, like we're thinking about how his game, we worried about his defense. And, you know, putting him nine last year, which we each did, despite knowing he was going to be out and just kind of guessing where he's going to be like that, I would say, was pretty optimistic. And I I agree. And he has blown past that.
1: Jimmy Butler, a a big riser. We talked about him as well. Jokic and Embiid uh, went up, I think, a, a significant amount to where they're both legitimate MVP candidates for the first time and bam out certainly after his playoffs has got to get into this discussion a little bit more Jalen brown it was fringe all-star consideration now a very solid all-star i'm not just saying that because he went 17 to 20 from the field last night devin booker certainly has moved up a little bit more to me to prove that he can be part of a good defense be a guy who's really driving winning i know some of his individual statistics aren't as sexy as they were last year but i don't put a, a ton of stock in that he's one of the guys i'm most excited to watch in this year's playoffs and who are the hardest guys to rank for you?
2: Giannis because we in some ways we know what Giannis is but that by virtue of this exercise is extremely difficult where I mean I said he's to me he's the most valuable regular season player in the league and has been over the in the aggregate over the last three years Um, but his limitations like we're becoming more confident and so it's it for him it's more the test of the concept it's okay we know what we have a pretty good idea of what he is and maybe what he will be but placing him in this like so I talked about him compared to to the guys in his tier with Curry and and AD it's you know so like it, it is six and one half dozen the other but the difference is incredibly important
1: for me Jokic, Embiid, and KD were the hardest to rank KD just because of that struggle between what I've seen with the eye test this year, but also the fact that that's not a real playoff stress test and just the intellectual understanding of what Achilles do do to players. And then Jokic and Embiid, how good they've been in the regular season this year. And again, trying to square that with my understandings of how valuable certain attributes are and how much that helps you win basketball games in the playoffs playoffs and how important certain weaknesses are um with Jokic like I said I, I'm sad that I'm not going to get to find out whether I was right or wrong about him because his team's just not going to be good enough in to
2: really I mean, make and, a and if, run without and, and if they are awesome then that's going to be really exciting and great I will say the player who gave me in some ways the, who made me question myself the most was Harden just because he has done nothing really, like he's done very little yeah. to to warrant being moved down that far. And I, I kept on thinking to myself, am I crazy? Like, and part of it also, I remembered with Harden, I, uh, as we were talking through it, I think I remember saying on the pod last year, somebody can pull this if they want to, that I'm basically like, this is the last time I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt. And it's so weird. Be- and part, that's also part of the timing of this. Is so like, if we had done this after the playoffs, I probably would have been, been hard- I wouldn't be questioning myself to the degree that I am. But he's been, excellent this season and so that brings that brings the question back but i kind of had to really think about you know like that's the questions of like okay this player versus this player you, you know shuffle up the deck and put it all back together and that's part of why it's it's such a, a good exercise is because there aren't necessarily definitive right or wrong answers, and this isn't just like if Jokic wins the MVP. That doesn't mean either of us having him where we do is is wrong, or, or if Durant is the best player in the finals, like that's th- its own thing. But it is still it is still an important thing to really not to piece it together because it is a different discussion, and I would argue a more important one than MVP than any of those types of things because this is what we're talking about actually winning games and winning championships
1: no i think that's a as good a thing to end on as any and this is the longest we've ever gotten on this but part of part of that is necessitated because as i said there are just so many unbelievable players out there that i felt obligated to talk about that some people might really be thinking about it, it, i think a lot of people would be surprised to hear oh man donovan mitchell like you've got him as like the 25th best player in the nba there have been some people who have been like hey the jazz are really good why isn't jonathan mitchell in the MVP conversation or uh, because there just are so many stars on so many good teams this year and I I felt really like we should try to to talk about all of them and really justify ourselves uh, to some degree but Thanks so much for joining us. If you want to get this discussion, we still have to do our point guard rankings on dunked on prime. We've done the other four positions and even if you disagree with us, I hope you'll at least agree that we have done our best to try to come to the positions that we have and that that's based on philosophies and on evidence And we're never going to be perfect with this, but we invite plenty of disagreement and certainly if you want to tweet at us, or if you're a dunked prime subscriber, you can get at us in the discord with disagreements. Maybe we'll even do a show on some of the disagreements. If you guys really have a problem with guys being too high or too low, and we will talk to y'all next week on the free pod and tomorrow on dunked prime
0: till then at bet three, six, five, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar.